0: Hey, Internet. Good morning. It's a Saturday morning chill. I am looking forward to talking with you all morning, your questions, my answers, but drawing them as best I can from Holy Scripture, as well as a healthy dose of natural law wisdom, looking at what's going on in the world and saying, what does that mean for us Christians? How then ought we to live in this age of present darkness? All that being said, and as many interesting things that you have brought to the table this morning to combine with something that I accidentally brought to the table this morning, I do not have an opening monologue and i really would like one. hmm i think i do but i'm afraid to share it. and isn't that just it? what is fear? i don't know how many of you follow me on instagram you don't have to. i don't necessarily even want you to. i post on instagram only for me and that sounds maybe really awful, but almost every other social media that i own i don't use for me at all, right? i, I use i use for this movement for getting Christianity rebranded as, yeah, sure, we're crazy compared to the rest of you, but no, we're n- really not, right? And oh, by the way, we can talk about it with some sincere clarity, thanks to Lutheran Dogma, to, to rebrand that. So all of my social media goes in that direction, and frankly, the Instagram does too, but, but it's not like it's part of the goal. What it is, is just me playing with the Bible and knowledge and truth and the ability to write on small pieces of paper in what is becoming my own little art form. And whatever, if you don't like it, great. Cause, cause it's just me teaching myself how to think about the Bible. And then I'm sharing it as, as eye candy for me right? to help myself be inspired to continue to do the process. I guess that's maybe what artists do. I've never really been a like a, a this kind of artist with the hands. Like, like I took a class, you know, whatever. But, but like, no, not, not something I was drawn to, right, that I would just do. And it's been fun to have this art just popping up out of smart noting <laughs> uh, and turning it into something that I'm doing intentionally with my hands, crafting my handwriting, all that kind of stuff. In any case, one of them this week that probably was the most deep for me, right? So if you saw this, if you watch this, you see a bunch of them flying by, but the one that was the most deep for me was in three parts, right? And it had to do with fear and trust and then some thoughts from the scripture about that. And I don't necessarily want to go into all that this morning, but what I do want to get to is the, the core of that, which is ask the question, what is fear? If fear is the mind killer, then, then what indeed is fear that kills the mind? And this becomes a double conundrum. When you run into language in the Old Testament, if you're a Christian or or a Jew, uh, if if you run into language of the Old Testament that talks about the fear of the Lord, which you are somewhat duty-bound then to believe is a good thing, because it is very clearly a good thing in the Bible. And then Lutherans have another trouble where we have in our catechism, which is just our basic summary of doctrine, it's really pretty small, don't let the book, what it looks like, actually fool you. Um, uh, in there, one of the main ideas is that we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and we understand that's what the, the first commandment kind of kind of means, right? Having a God means to fear Him, to love Him, and trust Him, and the language of fear is there because it's biblical language. But again, what does that what does that mean? And and are there maybe more than one kind of fear? That's another way to look at it. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but perfect love drives out fear, as John the Apostle says, well, then we're working with more than one nuance here in this whole thing, right? Um, so without, again, tac- t- t- tackling every possible corner that we go into exegetically, like what Bible verses, there's a lot of that. You could do it forever with the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. What I want to get at is this, though. There's a distinct difference between the fear of God— However we're going to define that, I I call that faith in Jesus, but let's come to that at a different time, the fear of God and the fear of everything else, (laughs) fear of any other thing that is not God, Uh, normally summarized as man, although really under the thumb of the devil, although the devil's great lie is convincing you he doesn't exist, right? So, uh, and even Kevin Spacey knew that in The Usual Suspects, and if you haven't seen The Usual Suspects, I would contend that you do not understand either mystery or dark heroes. Well, that's, that's a bit that's a bit much, Patrick. It really was. But you should watch Mutual Suspects. All this trying to come back to fear. And what do you really fear in a moment when you are experiencing, as a human walking around on Earth today, fear? I'm walking around, living my life, and <gasps> fear. Okay, at that moment, was it fear of God? Probably not. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to assume— <laughs> I'm going to assume that like 99.9% of my natural fear is not fear of God, because the Bible's pretty clear that I don't have any on my own. It has to be given to me. But this is the path—oh, I just popped my ankle. Did you hear that through the microphone? Ow! Um, the, The path that comes to the true fear of God comes from recognizing initially what the fear of man is, which is a lack of fear of God. It's a lack of Again, I call fear of God trusting God the same thing, but it, the fear of man is a lack of trusting God. At any moment when you're like, ah, th- what you're doing at that moment is not trusting God. I guarantee it. Like, if you stop and have a modicum of honest self-reflection, which I understand is very hard for snowflakes, I get it, but if you try, you don't have to melt just because you look at your own crystals and realize you don't like that one. You can melt that one and not all of it, right? So, so <laughs> have a modicum to stop and say, what am I actually and authentically afraid of at this moment. Uh, Tim Ferriss does this in a, in a very, you know, secular way, Buddhist way, um, uh, called, called fear setting, which is, is genius, really. It's whenever you're afraid of something, uh, big. He's thinking like life goal kind of stuff, but I mean, you could do it on a small level, but if you sit down and write out the fear, like with its most extreme thing, right? And so it's so easy for me to do with like taxes. Okay, so I'm I'm trying to do my taxes, right? And I'm working on my taxes, and I don't want to pay someone else because it's even more complicated that way than just to use the stuff and do the stuff. And so so I'm working on my taxes, and I get to the point and I got to send the taxes, and what I, what do I do? I I don't want to I don't want to finish it. I'm really really afraid of what going to jail. Why? Because I'm stealing. No, I'm not stealing at all. I just don't trust the IRS. Why don't I trust the IRS? Because I don't trust men. But really, who do I not trust at this moment? If I go to jail because the IRS is filled with evil people who decide to throw me to jail for no good reason, even though I'm paying all the taxes I possibly can to them, then wasn't that God's plan in the first place? So I I just don't understand. If you hit that moment of fear and you, you detail the worst possible outcome, and then you remember who you're afraid of in that emotion, and you say, who should I be afraid of? my Lord Jesus Christ, whom loves me desperately and is so jealous for me, he would die for me or then let me belong to somebody else. Oh, well, I think I'll hit send knowing I did my best, (laughs) you know? And uh, it's not about do what is in you, as say the papists would teach, although there's some truth behind what they're trying to get at. It is about believing that the grace is sufficient to cover and that whatever situation you get put into, you have nothing to fear If you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that means you're now paid for. That means that you're now an immortal, and he's going to be coming back very soon. I guess I'm going to sit here in jail and have a lot more time to read my Bible than I was when I was commuting an hour each way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'd be real happy about it. It's not like about my dear honey and wife and kids. I'm sorry that I have to go to you know white collar crime for the three dollars and seventy five cents I forgot to claim on the one gift someone gave me. I mean, you know. But the point of it is, I mean, take take a lesson from Saint Paul. Saint Paul says imitate me, and he really does mean it. And it's been too long since we've taken that seriously as Lutherans, for sure. If you want to imitate Paul, stop reading his letters. Read the Book of Acts and look at the nutcase. He's a nutcase. He's an absolute bona fide nutcase. I only need to tell you one story to prove to you he's a nutcase. He is about to get murdered by a mob. He is saved by Roman soldiers, a significant group of them. And they step into the mob. They keep him from being murdered they arrest him to do this they take him into what's going to be a castle to keep him safe he knows he'll probably be put on trial after this and never again have a chance to talk to most of the people in that mob who want to kill him but he says to the centurion anyway please let me talk to the mob and the guy's kind of surprised that he can talk in the language he's in and he shows he's educated so well, i guess if you really want to sir you know you're effectively a, a noble uh, you know so i can let you do that and and what is it he does all that not because he thinks they're necessarily all going to stop being angry about him saying well jesus has risen um, um, but b- b- because he believes it by saying, Jesus is risen, people are going to believe it. They're just, they're just going to believe it, eventually. Some of them. The elect. It's, it's called election, predestination. And, and I get it. You want to, like, seize the deal. I, I get it. Um, you can't. Holy Spirit does that. It doesn't mean you can't, like, pressure people. You can't button home. One of my favorite—I I pray. Hold on. I have to take off my hat to pray. It's messy. It's a mop. I pray. Before I die, the Lord gives me the courage. Pastor Wine, again, the second president of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, who, when he was a pastor in uh, the Maryland area, Baltimore, was known for buttonholing people. I think I said pigeonhole earlier. Buttonholing people. What does that mean? It means that he would be seen in the street with a guy talking. and He'd be talking about Jesus, effectively, and salvation, and the reality that God is real and judgment's coming and you need to believe this because it's it's not going away and it's going to affect you at some point. So listen, right? So he would actually have his finger in the upper collar buttonhole of the guy's shirt or his jacket so that he couldn't get away. And the guy would be trying to get away and he'd be in the street talking to the guy about Jesus, right? Now, I'm not saying I necessarily want to buttonhole people, but I do pray. That's where my head's off. I do pray that I have the audacity To do it if I had to do it. You know, if it was actually the moment where like this guy really is listening to me, but he's being pulled for the wrong right now. You stay right here and listen to me. (laughs) I'm going to elect you right now. You're going to heaven. (laughs) Like, what a different approach than well if you don't, then you won't. Think about it. I mean just just give me a second to put my hat back on and think about how we look do we look excited about our religion you better do it or else and then tut 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 all the way or is it more like hey let me tell you something man you're never gonna die listen to this (laughs) it's a significantly more what appealing idea and it's not as though it doesn't change your desire to listen to the word of god when it says like don't murder don't commit adultery don't lie like it has an impact on that too so it's hardly antinomian to lead with the idea that Jesus has risen. Uh, what's antinomian is to sit around on your duff and complain that nothing's happening when you won't actually confess out loud the name of Jesus nor his resurrection. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just saying the the entire reality of American Christianity has been on its hands. And you know, kind of, maybe even like, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I want to use an analogy that is probably a little Lutheran, uh, meaning a bit vulgar potty humor, but, you know not able to clean up our messes and just get on with the fact that we're not going to win the culture war that we think we're fighting. And we've wasted so much time on this. And we've lost so many people to this, trying to compete with the wrong competition, trying to look like the vanities of this world. And if we would just believe what we actually had, just even slightly authentically, that you are, that Christ is risen, that you are paid for, uh, that you cannot die now, that he's coming back soon. And in the water, it, it seals it, the food, it feeds it. And from this, we can see the, the 10 simple steps to what life is really about. And we have a prayer that gives us the seven ultimate things that God always says yes to. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and yet for some reason, we don't even seem to know we have it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't want to be a you know, bitter or nothing. Um, I'm I'm done with bitter. I'm done with cynical. I'm I'm all about <laughs> trust being the fear killer. Because the thing is, it's all about fear. Why do we not open our mouths and say the name of Jesus at any given moment ever? Uh, you know why. It's because we were afraid to say it. That's <laughs> emotion. It's hard to say Jesus. It is. It is. It's hard. He has risen. It's hard. It's because it's a war. <laughs> and you're actually on the battlefield and you swing your sword when you say things like Christ was crucified for you, right? And I'm, believe me. Talking about the crucifixion is important too. But the point is, any of the scriptures that you learn to speak out loud is in fact like you play in Call of Duty against all those random bots. Only it's not random bots, it's humans. And it's not bullets, it's ideas that have consequences because they're the words of the Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifying God. Yeah? It's a, it's, a, it's a war. Yeah. And and I'll tell you what. I will, I will. Lay down my arms. I will. But I will not. Lay down those words. (laughs) I will not. You know? Uh, He is risen. And that war, I want to embrace that with all that I've embraced my rights. Now, I I wear this shirt, and I own the weapon because I don't want to ever have to use it. And I want anyone who ever does have to use it around me to not accidentally shoot me in the back trying to shoot fascists. (laughs) I want us all to understand what it means to be a free society. That's wonderful. And it is secondary. It is there because my citizenship under the king, who demands my complete obeisance, that is, I am his slave at the end of the day, he is my master and lord, under his world, he demands that I live under the kingdoms of this one, for they are his. And he bends them to his will, though they rebel against him. Psalm 2, pick it up. Worth deep pondering, like four, five, seven, 15 times through. You will not have it all by the time you're done. It's it's so important. The nations rage, and Jesus scoffs at them. But he still demands us Christians submit. And so what does that mean for me as an American? God bless America is what it (laughs) means. It means God bless America. It means God bless the one place on the planet where the nobles don't just get to tell us what to do officially. Officially. So I love this secondarily because I do love my nation's freedom to speak and practice religion, and be tried by a jury of peers, and have, in fact, free equality of the ethnicities before the law, as well as the sexes before the law. Like, those are some pretty awesome things as citizens to have, and you can complain however you want about Starbucks and and Amazon selling our industry to China, which they have, and then telling us how it's all our fault, which they have. You can say whatever you want, but if you have to go and live in those sweatshops in China, you will not want communism. Not after where you've been with capitalism. You will not. So I I had a question. This is a complete tangent. I had a a question the other day about how many of these people that are um, so against what the USA is, how many of them have really taken the time to travel to not just one but maybe five countries, including those uh, actually below the poverty line, and to see what their governments are doing and to ask questions about what their governments are doing that are making life that way? And understand the policies in the history of the last 300 years or so and all those places that have led to where they are. Before they just go and tear down the one that's actually trying, obviously flawedly, right? Very clearly with so many ridiculously like faux imperial flaws. Nonetheless, the concept of civil liberties and human rights remains at the epicenter of who we are. And even the anti-fascist movements are using that idea to claim their position. Well, that's a really good thing to be a country about. (laughs) Even though, obviously, uh, the path of fascism and communism has always been. Their actual strategy is to lie (laughs) and just change the language, right? To tell you they're doing one thing and to do another. And you can just go all the way back in history. It's always the way that it operates. So, yeah, when they say that they are for human rights, they don't really mean that. They mean for human rights under the control of a single state. (laughs) uh, They don't mean for you having the liberty to decide with your doctor whether or not you should be able to use a very – unthreatening drug over the counter because it might save you and or your risk uh, at risk assessed elderly family from a random disease pandemic you know nope nope no, the 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 higher man the sheriff he gets to tell you well it's not really the sheriff in our country i was thinking sheriff and not him you know that uh, prince john he gets to tell you what to do so we do still live in that right but i want to protect the fact that we can still talk about how we don't like it <laughs> like that's the last one right and once they take this one like what's left is talking, And if you look at the countries where they don't have this, the laws are about not talking to. And so that's the thing, man. Like if you don't like this, um, you just got to go visit some of the places where they don't have this and then look at the real problems that those people deal with because whatever planet you're on, there's problems. <laughs> whatever whatever country you live on this planet, there's problems. So look at those real problems, see how they're also systemic, trace those systemic things back in history to ideas and philosophies that are 300 to 500 years old, and then come back and let's have a conversation about changing America, right? Because, like, seriously, we could change America for the better, but it's not going to be by tearing it down. Uh, all you're going to get then is warlords, warlords and barbarians. And by the way, Christians, I mean, I don't know who I'm talking to right now. Christians, if you're watching, I assume you're mostly Christians. I, I did have this thought the other day, too. We're going to come back to trust to finish this thing, but... I realized that, like, I was thinking about the communism always lying thing, and it, are there some communists who try not to lie? I'm sure there are. That's not what I meant. I meant that the that to have its ideas passed forward, it must deceive itself and others. Communism it, it is an impossible utopian dream uh, of a wild eyed madman. I, I would say to some extent. Um. Uh. But oh, oh, I'm going to lose it now. <clears throat> Trust answers whatever fears you've had in all of that about losing this about someone taking away this trust always brings you back to not being afraid of it happening but knowing that if it did happen your god is sufficient to make you i want to use lutheran language again to make you kick its end to the curb (laughs) so piteously sanctimonious sounding ah uh uh, highly ho uh so (laughs) your god will be bigger than whatever moment you're in and the amount of painful emotion of of what you might call your flesh's whining oh why did this happen to me which we all do because it's our flesh it's what we're born ah me me right your level of that controlling you in the midst of catastrophe will be directly proportional to your ability to envision that catastrophe and know ahead of time it can't touch you in jesus name of course they can kill you but then again no, they can't. It's so Darth Vader and Ken- Ben Kenobi. It so is uh, A New Hope, right? Like like the moment that they want to martyr you, if it ever gets to that. And, and I'm not – you know, I used to think like they were weird as early Christians to like want that. And I still think they were weird to kind of <laughs> to want that. But what I want is the same thing I mean about with the weapon, right, with the Second Amendment. I don't want to have to use the gun. But if I do have to use the gun, I want to know how to use it safely and to protect innocent people and stop barbarians. In the same way, I don't want to be martyred. I don't want to be strung up and gourded or, or ripped apart and have my flesh gradually stripped from me and having them waking me back up so as I have to stay alive while the pain goes so that they can try to get me to not believe in Jesus anymore. And, and yeah, that's historical stuff. <laughs> um. I'm going to know right now that if the Lord Jesus puts me in that place, I'm going to be so happy by the time it's going on. I'm going to be in some kind of euphoric, prophetic, confessing, Bible verse spewing, Lord's Prayer praying trance. And I'm going home. And as I go home, I'm going to let you know I'm going home. You go, ahead. you hurt. You hurt me as much as you can. And let me tell you this. (laughs) You can't hurt me more than I've already been hurt by myself, which means you can't change the way I feel about Jesus because he still loves me. And dying with that conviction on my lips is my life's goal. So preparing means all of this, right? It means getting your head in the game. It means trust in Jesus is the fear killer. It means that when you have a fear, whatever it is, if you just take three seconds, ask you take more than three seconds, take 30 seconds, diagnose the actual position of the fear, place it in relationship to what you know dogmatically is the truth about Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and you will find it is not the same fear that you thought it was. It is still something that could possibly cause you damage, that it is a risk. But the difference between a risk and a fear is a marvelously powerful one, especially emotionally. Especially emotionally. The risk, you can actually decide to avoid it, you can still run away. But you don't have to. You can also just kick his butt, <laughs> right? You can decide that's worth the risk, and that is the difference between fear and trust. That's why trust in Jesus and trust in the true God being your God, which is what Jesus does, is the fear killer. And that is why, whatever else, it's game day here on Saturday morning chill. We're going to be back in just a moment with uh, more opening monologue. Not the one I thought, but one that you might enjoy. Oh. All right, so this is not the new camera you guys bought me, which it's kind of sad i I want to use this one for this instead, and I want to have it up here and I've looked into some stuff for like the the piping to build basically an overhang and there's space I won't go the other direction right now, but there's space over there um for kind of a more round table eventually build for for recording but um the goal with this camera again is to have it to be able to oh you know be down like this we're gonna do some of that in just a moment um with a camera I can't really. As I can. Here we go. Um, some of you who've watched long enough, I mean, this was like my camera for all the way back KFUO and even before that, um, Logitech. And um, it's t- 1080H, uh, yeah, 1080p, but it the problem is getting it to be 1080p is difficult with its own software. And to get it to do what you want it to do is difficult with its own software. And so uh, it also, I've had two of them, and both of them have proven to be very easily dislodgeable somehow. Something goes wrong inside. I don't know what. There's like a short of some kind and certain features just s- seem no longer to work and there's no way that I've been able to find without being a real hack to get in and deal with it. So I've, I've been very disappointed in this even though it could be an in- incredibly cheap and high quality camera if they just made less work getting to anything. Just give it one feature and let all the other software do the changing. But anyway, Logitech, well, whatever. But for now, that's one we're going to be using um, as we're going to try to do a little of this. Well, You'll come here someday and make this way better. But I want to talk about a couple things. Here we go. And I want to see... So, uh, it's going to be all shaky, right? But we've got a couple thoughts to ponder. Beautiful is that truth so consistent... See, see that? Ah! This is why I hate this camera. See that um, it's going, like, fuzzy to not fuzzy? You can't turn that off. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Beautiful is that truth so consistent with itself that logic fails to describe it. What do I mean by that? Truth itself is beauty, and beauty is truth. Beauty is not in the eye of the beholder unless you believe truth is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is when truth lines up in such a way that you can no longer describe it with sheer mathematical equations. Instead, you have to simply call it beautiful or inspiring, or some other thing. Belief in truth and beauty are tied to each other. Logic is tied to it as well, but is actually overwhelmed by the power of beauty. That's just kind of a neat worldview-building thought, when you're thinking about epistemology, that is, the study of what it means to be alive or to be. How do you know what you know? How do you know that you're standing and not sitting? Well, someone told me. Well, that's a big part of it. Yes, witnessing. But logic is a big part of that, too. Logic is able to understand many things, but it cannot explain beauty aside from believing in truth. So, interesting thing to ponder. Um. Oh, this is... Yeah. So, I had a conversation on Twitter this week with someone, um, and he... he he didn't like me, and I felt sad because I didn't really try to make him not like me. I just answered his questions, but I, I guess I was rude. Um, it happens. Twitter's really amazing like that. It makes enemies out of friends. Uh, uh, most most media does, but. The thing was, the conversation itself is just such a silly one. The debate is over how Jesus might possibly turn his body into bread and wine everywhere at once while still remaining a human and not denying what it means to be a human. That's basically the Calvinist position on why the bread and wine is not Jesus, why Jesus is telling a half-truth in the upper room. I wrote a whole book called Without Flesh about how this is not only something that is kind of silly to think about in the big picture. Historically, it has no value, and we should look at what it's done to the church since it was introduced as an idea and see it's been from the devil. All the same it's a bigger question than that because the one that's really from the devil was going on in the Middle Ages before the Calvinists came along and got all scholastic about it actually it was quite scholastic in the Middle Ages too it's the debate over how Jesus does something well could this be true because is the question we bring to Jesus' words and that's the wrong question like that's the most irrelevant question I can imagine somebody ever asking how how is the trinity the trinity oh how is a creature a creature tell me that one and I'll tell you how the trinity is a trinity there you go just more for your day this one's kind of fun alright this one's kind of fun so this is out of the upcoming uh, Romans 9 from the one-year lectionary this, this weekend. Righteousness that is by faith. The phrase by faith there. Uh, in English, we would normally understand that to refer to believing in Jesus, right? By faith means faith in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Again, I apologize for the um, <laughs> the, autos, uh, the autofocus going on here. Again, that's why we got to get this other camera uh, hooked up at some point. I need a wire is what I didn't have. I didn't mention that earlier. In any case... We would say, I believe in Jesus. If you go back to the Latin, it's credimus, credo. Um, credo means to believe, and, and credimus. Well, we get some other English out of that. We get things like credible, which means to be trustworthy. I know I can't read that there very well. Incredible, which means to be unbelievable, actually. You have discredit, which means to be untrustworthy. You have credentialed, which means to be believable. So look how cred, 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 and cred is all the way through that. So good English, righteousness by faith is righteousness that is credited to Jesus. It's his credit that's then given to you, right? It is incredible, indeed, unbelievable, that somebody would credit you as credible (laughs) eternally uh, when you're not, when you've been discredited by your sin. Yes, but the credentialed Jesus has the credentials, King of kings, Lord of lords, Blood bot for you and all, right, to do just this. And it's, yeah, it's all gift. It's all gift. What a great text coming up this week, and I hope your pastors get a touch on that one. This is a fun thought. There's a book called Ideas Have Consequences by Richard Weaver. It is something I recommend. I hope to smart note it again sometime in the future. I've never smart noted it. I've only read it once, and it was so dense that I was like, this guy's smarter than me. So I want to smart note it. In any case, Almighty's God's promises must have consequences is even more important than ideas have consequences. This is just a fact. This is just a fact. He has risen has a consequence. You are paid for has a consequence. You can't die now, has a the consequence. These things will happen one way or the other. And granted, yeah, there's a there's a fallen way to continue against the promises. But the fact is, if you believe the promises, then you're free to believe that the promises will have positive consequences upon you. They just might not be the positive consequences the world would label or that you would label as the things you'd want out of a religion. They'll be the ones that God labels as the things he wants out of a religion for you. And what you find is that those promises and those consequences are far better than what you would have imagined for yourself. Uh, This comes out then in this idea, right? This is really helpful then. It's my favorite one from the whole week. You cannot rise from the dead and stay dead at the same time. All debates about... Christians having to hear the law, or keep the law, or learn about the law, or not needing to hear the law, or keep the law, or learn about the law, are trying to hold on to one side of this equation rather than just saying, that's a silly argument, guys, you just, you cannot remove either law or gospel, and if you try to do so, you destroy them both. That's the entire idea. Uh, so if, if you see some group, that, or people, or individual, or yourself perhaps, that you find is not really living the Christian doctrine that you believe they ought to live. Live, well, you can know that that is, that is unrepentance on their part. So if somebody's living in adultery with their boyfriend, well, yeah, then in fact their faith is dying and may be completely dead. The weak, glimmering wick of faith doesn't necessarily snuff out right away, so you shouldn't go in with a fire torch and just start you know exploding on everybody. But it is true. You cannot rise from the dead and stay dead at the same time. And if you decide to go on staying dead, then you're going to stay dead right into staying dead forever. At the same time, and most more positively, Well, the fact is you're not going to stay dead so far as Jesus is concerned. He's told you you're going to rise from the dead. He's told you you're risen from the dead already, which means you're not dead now, which means every sin you look at, which is still there, must have a different way to deal with it than guilt. And the different way to deal with it is mercy in Jesus and confidence that you can try again and do better next time because you're not going to stay dead for long, right? You can't die now, and he's not going to be long anyway in returning. This is an interesting one, too. Same kind of idea as you wrestle with, you know, uh, third use of the law, first use of the law, second use of the law. I believe all those uses do exist as ways to describe what the law does, but there's only one law. Uh, So uh, grace, what is grace? It's an excuse. Don't pretend it's not. It's an excuse. Jesus is my excuse on the last day. He has excused me from evil. The hall pass is in my hand. It's called my baptism. He has made me his creature by his blood. And thank God taught me to hate evil as a result. And that's the thing here. So someone might hear all I said, but that means people will go to evil. Well, that's because you think that grace is an excuse to evil. And that's what an unbeliever would think. So if you're worried about that, you should check your own heart. Honestly. Because only the flesh hears grace as an excuse to do evil. Your own flesh grabbed hold of you right then and said, that was the way it was said. You read it into the text because an excuse can also be an excuse from evil, like to get away. May I be excused from class? Ha <laughs> Yeah, I did something wrong. Please excuse me so I won't do it again. Right? That's grace. The grace of the Bible is excuse from evil, not excuse to evil. Now notice that in your excuse from evil, you will find that you have come into evil again, and Jesus yet again excuses you from it, not so you might return to it. So you might just, again, live anew today where you are without worrying about how you prove yourself and just being glad he's proven who he is to you. Oh, my goodness. Isn't it good stuff? Idols hurt more than repentance. People cling to what they want because they think that what they don't want will hurt. But the fact is that what you want is usually hurting you more than well, than what you don't know. And if you men, maybe found some time to find what you don't know and realize that the hope you're placing in things that cannot give hope is the source of the hurt. It doesn't mean there's no such thing as hope as the Buddhists would teach you. It doesn't mean the opposite is complete balance. No, no, no. It means there's another way. There's another path that does not involve hurting more, but owning the hurt now for what it is our own unrepentance, and then seeing that it's far better to be a repentant sinner than an unrepentant, self-righteous man. You know what I am saying, peoples? All right, we're going to take another break, come back with your comments and questions, assuming I can find the three-minute break. I just did, oh! oh that'd be the wrong one. That'd be totally not, <laughs> that was totally the wrong one. All right, so we got to, um, Oops. Uh, Fisky, and what does that mean? We got a super chat from Desert Rose. She says, "Thank you, Pastor, and you are welcome." Thanks for the super chat, Desert Rose. And we got a little preaching, or at least confession, coming from here tonight, Anakin Cringe Walker, in response to what I was saying on the other side of the break, which is uh, Peter did not immediately fall into the sea when he doubted; he sunk slowly, slowly enough to cry out for help, slowly enough to actually walk for a second, right? And the patience of God, uh, with thus, thus, when the patience, thus, pa- the patience of God, when we start to walk away is grace to return before we sink fully. The spirit lingers a bit. Now, okay, so there's a question there, right? So mm, I just would be careful about, about trying to get too close into the how on a Broadway because where and when the falling away happens, when the cold uh, heart finally becomes hardened, I just don't know that we have quite the pinpoint for that um, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, how does God— res- When we pray, cast me not away from your presence, right? The moment we're praying against, what is that? I don't want to know, honestly. Neither do you. <laughs> so, so like there's there's that, right? But, but the fact is, yes, God is patient. That's what our God is. That's who our God is. He has defined himself as patience, enduring steadfastness, faithfulness. And so his desire is not that you would sink ever, even up until the very day that you stop breathing. The moment you stop being what you are, which is a nefesh, a breather. That's kind of the earliest word for man we have in the Old Testament that isn't man, a breather. Uh, the nephesh. So that you stop being a nephesh, well, now you stop being a nephesh, right? So that he wants you to be a nephesh forever. And that is what incorporation, embodiment into the physical risen body of Jesus of Nazareth, who ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand, and now by means of flesh and blood, indeed does join with those who believe it, at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, well, that is a much better thing to think. It's not. It's not even about how... We're sinking. It's about how there is no sunk in this. So then what happens to the Christian who then decides to jump out of that boat, right? What happens to the Christian who decides, um, I'm going to go swim with the pagans for a while. Well, is he immediately out of the ship, or is he just talking, right? Is, is the uh, uh, oh, I'm trying to get which one. Um, Blessed is the man who does not uh, walk amongst the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of sinners, nor sit... Uh, stand in the place of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scorners. Psalm 1, right? Uh, the, the very beginning of what it means to be righteous is to not have a conversation in which you are influenced by wickedness. Uh, so that you don't, you don't walk with wickedness so long that it convinces you to stand and talk for a while so long that you're sitting at his house. right? That's, that's the thing. And, and where is the patience of God in all that? Even after we've fallen away, the Spirit is still a striving. Your baptism is always like this... Uh, I think it's I think it's it's completely wrong to compare it to a fishing rod. I think it's completely wrong. It's more like you have an armor that has been built around you, an armor of glass and water and the word of God. That's how, how I imagine it's like glowing blue glass armor everywhere, including the helmet of salvation, right? Just, uh, it's Voltron style, whatever. Um, that That's with you as a promise, and the unbeliever who is baptized has that with him as a promise. But the only thing it's really good for is deflecting the lies of the devil. And so if you don't believe there are lies of the devil, then you're not using your armor, right? So you got to turn it on. But you don't turn it on. You just believe it. <laughs> And you don't make yourself believe it. It is a believable thing and the promises of Jesus. But if you resist that, well, then you've decided not to have it, right? So if you've been given it and then you decide over time in resistance to say, I don't believe this is really there, that even though it is there, you get no benefit from it. And that is the difference between baptism being necessary, by the way, and baptism being um, beneficial, right? Uh, Beneficial. Um, Baptism is necessary but not uh, how do we say it? We're so we're, so, we're, to, we're very two faced about it, but it's true. Um, it is necessary, but not absolutely necessary, right? It's a little more than beneficial for 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 uh, for Christianity because it's instituted by our Lord. So we know it is it is necessary, but it's not absolutely necessary in the sense that we know people die and believe in Jesus without having yet come to the waters of baptism, and so we trust that the Lord's promises are still good. Then, all that being said, again, baptism is the mark put upon you like, not so you would walk around not believing, <laughs> not so you would walk around in, like, carnal self-confidence. It's, like, the opposite of that. The very thing exists to teach you to walk around in non-carnal confidence that you're a Christian, and that no matter what else happens, the Word of God that has informed what you think is true and remains true. No matter how much babble goes on out there with the white noise, what he says is true, yeah? Uh, and so, knowing that, then, The Spirit doesn't just linger for a bit, but the Spirit calls continuously to all men. The heavens declare the glories of God. Creation's calling too, and the church, water, blood, spirit crying, is shouting. And the election will do what the election will do. The word does not return void. So it's a matter of trusting, trusting that then, trusting that. But see, you don't want to be like, well, God is patient with falling away, so I'm not going to worry about it. Wrong. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Alright, we're going to get to your questions and comments from uh, uh, com slash contact. You can always send cues and comments there. Although I am going to be talking to uh, to the team a little bit about we got to put a limit on what you guys are doing, because you're, you're sending in, like, like thesis statements. And it's not—we need that for, like, the Mad Monday stuff, but for, for here, um, some of these are are long enough that um, we got to break them down a bit. So I'm going to be starting with some of the shorter ones this morning, and then we'll hit the longer ones later in the second hour. Uh, so, um, uh, just so—well, whatever. You'll see that as you stick around longer. But we're going to begin with right here. Rebecca says, Hello, Pastor Fisk. If there is absolute truth— Haha, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, how can there be so many denominations and Christians still be saved? I've seen this logic has come up quite a bit recently, especially in light of the pandemic and people looking for truth. Also, if the Holy Spirit was there to guide those who canonized the Bible, what about the times the Catholic Church or other churches in history have claimed he guided them in unbiblical things? Yeah, right. Well, then they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the whole point of the Bible is when is, it helps you know that when someone else says, I'm from God, and they're not saying what the Bible says, that they're liars. Like that's that's the reason it exists. It says that's the reason it exists. The apostles who saw Jesus risen say this is the reason this exists, right? And so for Rome to come along and then say, well, but but you need us to make it happen. Well, historically, you certainly had the apostles leaving these letters in various places, and faithful Christians that all kind of gathered together and realized that the word Catholic back then just meant all of us who agree in Christianity according to the the Orthodox Trinitarian faith, right? They they, they pulled this all together, and they came to some conclusions, and they argued about some stuff that probably shouldn't have been in, it and ended up not being in it. And then uh, here we have like they're well. This is what we think it is. That doesn't mean that the Pope said this, and so it's okay, or that the the College of Cardinals existed as it does now back then and put its imprimatur on this, and this is why we believe it. That's such nonsensical revisionist history. It's it's, it's incredible, and it's a real denial to the the faithfulness of the Church Fathers to make them puppets of modern-day, what, global, national, military almost, organizations uh, like the Vatican. So you, you Catholics out there, God bless you. God bless you. But you have a country, and you're king who runs your country and says he's also the voice of God. I disagree with him about a couple things. And you do too, recently, which is even weirder if you take the time to think about it. So so, um, that, that is, so whenever you find somebody, Rebecca, who is, who is saying, God is like, and whatever they come out, comes out of their mouth, if it's not what the scriptures say, then they're wrong. Me too. I'm wrong too. If it's not what the scriptures say. If I say something else, if I make it up, I'm a liar. We all do this pretty well by nature because we don't like to believe. (laughs) We don't like to believe that we're evil. It hurts our feelings to admit that we're evil. We whine about it a bit. And so we resist this just for that reason, mainly. It's, it's quite a bit like spoiled children throwing a fist. Like, well, you're just out of your mind over there. What are you doing, right? The Lord will forgive you. Can you can you, can you stand up now? Yeah. Can we have a conversation? It's going to be all absolution. It's, it's kind of the way it goes, right? Uh, so, but without the scriptures, then there's none of that. And so your, your question about absolute truth and does absolute truth exist is really at the heart of your second question, too. Because... If you don't believe absolute truth exists, then you can't believe the scriptures could be a truth-binding universal, right? Something that is, is completely true and trustworthy that we as Christians can all always agree on, right? Um, you, you can't believe that if there's no actual thing that could be that, philosophically, right? Now, the thing about the absolute truth if there is thing, like, like I'm assuming your question's going to be in good faith at the moment. But the time anybody says, is there any absolute truth, your answer is, you tell me. Because the moment they talk, then they said there was. (laughs) Even if they say, no, there's not, then they said there was. So the question is not to answer, is there absolute truth? The question is, you tell me, I rest my case. So it's such a nonsensical point of view. Nobody lives with the point of view that there is no truth. Nobody lives that way. They use that to excuse their actions against you or against those that they want to not have to think about. Whatever, it could even not even be people, but just their own life excuses, right? They use that excuse in order to escape the reality of facing their own sinful condition. But but the fact is then they turn around and they stop at red lights. Cause even though the red light is not a universal truth, it is a universal truth that if you get hit by another car, it smashes your car. It's a universal truth, right? Now, are there physics that we could discover someday that allow wormholes that have cars not get in accidents? Yeah, maybe. Why not? I'm fine with that, too. But it doesn't change the fact that that would be based upon the universal truth of physics. So the idea that there's no universal truth, that 2 plus 2, two, plus two doesn't equal 4, that you can come up with some alternate form of math that then is going to apply to how many apples are in your basket, is nonsense. And the burden of proof remains on the person who asked the question in the first place. They have to prove that they can ask the question reasonably before I will answer the question reasonably. And you can't ask the question Is there absolute truth reasonably? Because reason itself remains uh, contingent upon itself being an absolute truth. That non-contradiction means it's true. That's reason. That's logic. You have to assume that. You can't prove that. I know the atheists hate this. They can't stand it because it hurts their poor little feelings. But you have to believe logic makes sense. You must. It is a faith claim. And frankly, no one should have a problem with this because, again, the antidote is, oh, you don't believe logic exists? What do you mean by that? (laughs) And the moment they talk, well, then they've they've actually proven they have no logic, right? But they have not proven proven that logic doesn't exist. And the moment they say, "Well, logic exists because they have proven logic does not exist," because sorry, logic does not exist because you have just relied on logic to make your point, and you can't stand. So again, before you get into the issue of why are the Christian denominations, which is a very important issue an incredibly important issue. But before you get that, you just cannot give anybody the foothold in the conversation with you to ask the question, is there absolute truth? Without you simply asking the question back to them and then trying to help them see from their answer. So your answer is yes, because you answered. Because... If if you say yes or no to the question, it doesn't matter. You say maybe, it doesn't matter. Wait, is there absolute truth? Maybe. That implies it could be there still then, right? At the very least, it's not a negation. And the negation would imply that it is there. There is no way for absolute truth not to exist. Now, if you really want to wrestle with this, by the way, um, I don't have it near me now. There is a book you can read about this that has nothing to do with Christianity. It's called Fooled by Randomness by Nassim Tlaib. It is a difficult read. I will say, Nassim has gotten better. His later book, uh, um, uh, "Skin of the Game," which is excellent, uh, I, is is a much easier, f- faster read. But "Fooled by Randomness" is basically about how this applies to to, to stocks in the market <laughs> and make money with the same reality and the fact that most people who are trying to make money are doing it as if there is no absolute truth. It's kind of strange. Like they, I forget how you... I don't remember. It's worth reading. It will. It makes the case at the end of the day that. You can't get enough perspective to say anything isn't true forever. Everything with enough time, even the impossible, is possible mathematically. And it's doubly so if you claim we come from a Big Bang evolution. Doubly so. Which means that mathematically, eventually, ultimately... Jesus does have to rise from the dead <laughs> because we can conceive of it as a mathematical proposition. Now, Tilly might be wrong. It's, a, it's philosophy, and I think it's fun. But the, but the fact is, like, in all universes ever possible, there would have to be then one in which Jesus rises from the dead, and therefore that would make that one the true one in which the truth exists because his claim is unique to, from all others, right? So, so it's kind of a cool thing. But, you know, no, this isn't going to convince anybody except you. What convinces them is when you ask them the question, right? What do you mean by that? if there is absolute truth. What do you mean by that, if there's absolute truth? So, okay, how can there be so many denominations and Christians still be saved? Well, it's because there's absolute truth that there are so many denominations and Christians still will be saved. Without absolute truth, there will be no salvation. No, What would you be saved from? That thing would not be absolutely evil, so why would you even want to be saved from it? Every conversation, every story, every thought becomes useless the moment you deny the potential for absolute truth. And make the the arbiter of it you, <laughs> which is what n- ultimately happens. Then you don't believe in absolute truth. You believe in your truth, right? Uh, I think before I am, Descartes, and it's high time the civilization kind of u turn that one just a half, <laughs> just a half, and the narcissism reached its peak. Uh, t- time to realize there are truths that endure beyond me, uh, and, and, and the tradition can be useful, right? Th- that kind of thing. So, but... So, uh, throughout Christian denominations, how can they be saved? Because a Christian denomination is only actually Christianity when it confesses that Jesus Christ, triune God, I would add, is risen from the dead and paid for you. So you know you're his. He's your God. Yeah? And that you're going to rise from the dead. You're immortal. You can say going to heaven if you want, but it's a really sad way of thinking about it, I suppose. Um, you're you're going to rise from the dead. Um, you cannot die. Uh, and he'll be back soon. Right? The end of the world's coming soon. Uh, like, Like, if you've got that... You're kind of on the salvation train. Now it doesn't mean that you can't be a hypocrite on the salvation train. You very much can be a hypocrite on the salvation train. It, it, you know, worshipping Mammon in the church is possible. Pharisee and tax collector, hello, right? But, but, but um, that said. Throughout Christian denominations everywhere, there are Christians who believe the very basics of Christianity because the Bible says it and they read their Bible, most of them, many of them, a little bit. Or the liturgy has it in there somewhere. You know, Christmas at least comes around and the crucifixion on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So the liturgy kind of just teaches at least they believe that part. And yeah, their lives may not be as sanctified as they will be on the day of resurrection, but they're neither trying to be wicked people destroying the world and tearing down civilization. They're not barbaric, right? Christianity doesn't make barbarians. Usually it tends to civilize the barbarians, sometimes slowly over generations. Uh, That being said, again, throughout Christianity, if it is Christianity, then Christianity is saving us with or without our denominational support. Our denominations are only showing what kind of fire, or excuse me, what kind of uh, dross still must burn off on the day of resurrection regarding our understanding of who God is. How faithfully have we been re-attending to the scriptures and letting them form what we think as opposed to forming the scriptures' thoughts by what we bring to them? How diligently do we research and study our own assumptions based on scriptures so that we find that they are true again and are fed from the fountain which is never impure? That reality, different denominations certainly have different levels of claim to, and frankly, I've never in my lifetime been in a denomination that can really claim to be much of anything, actually, other than a group of people trying to move in a generally similar direction sometimes, but fighting over the money. And So so, so there's also uh, the fact that you have denominations that exist as organizations and political strata in which there's all sorts of conflict taking place over a variety of agendas and issues, some of which are the Word of God and some of which are not, some of which are definitely mammon, and some of which are just personal. You have that, and then you also have tradition of understanding, or movements of believing, or historical orthodox dogmatics, which each different group would say, this is actually what we think the Bible says. Once upon a time, we we, we didn't like each other, but we could shout at each other about that stuff. That day seems to be gone, largely. Uh, strangely, uh, the debate about what Scripture means is almost entirely gone. But I think what has happened is that we're going to see that what was sown a hundred years ago in terms of authentic belief in what the scriptures say, as opposed to man's sort of monotheistic, therapeutic, deistic version of American religion foisted on top of it. So what we're going to see is that American religion becoming its own thing more and more, which won't necessarily be patriotic. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying it's about flag-waving, but American uh, therapeutic, moralistic deism, which sounds an awful lot like the progressive agenda, uh, will continue to be something uh, that that claims to— place in denominations, particularly in denominations, right? Uh, because they can get away with it and continue to function on the monies which they've stockpiled. Uh, as opposed to the historical dogmatic traditions, the movements, the people who believe this, the pastors and people who believe this, some of them are in politics in their church bodies, some of them are not, but that is the real thing that is going to endure the next 50-year purge or the, the, the falling away of the consumer Christianity, because consumer Christianity just won't have a reason anymore. Uh, it's, it, it is so faux pas to be a Christian, and it is increasingly out of step to go to a thing called church because it's not safe and things. You know, all the different little nudges, even if COVID goes away immediately, right now, it will have an impact on those who stop during this time period. And every time something like this happens, we get smaller and smaller. Our youth are going away. Our college kids are going away. We're not retaining what we have. And yet all I hear from from a lot of Christians is, well, we just got to do what we've been doing harder. Maybe maybe your denomination has adopted some programs and institutions and structures which are not in fact what the scripture says, nor their dogmatic tradition, and you're spending a lot more time on that, and that's what's killed you. Oh, go figure. I, I mean, it's not my business. It's good there are denominations, though. This is very important. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's good that there are financial institutions called denominations. Uh, I, I'll, I'm going to reserve my thoughts on that for the moment. But the distinctions between christians honestly saying no we really disagree about this major issue called baptism like it's evidently part of the new testament and some of us think it's just awesome and like god and some of us think it's like like god said to and stuff right so do it and that is a pretty significant distinction i'm not sure we should sit down and say we are in full agreement with each other as christians and the difference in our understanding of this will not harm our faith, one of us, in the long run. So let us dialogue iron against iron with the scriptures, yes? That idea only exists when you allow room for various dogmatic traditions that you would call heterodox, as opposed to orthodox, but not heresy. That is to say that there is leaven working its way through the church at all times, and it does not mean that you're out now. However, a little leaven does ruin the entire lump eventually. So you're always fighting against the leaven—leaven—against lemon, <laughs> the leaven— But you're not doing so in a belief that you will never have the leaven to fight against. Mm -hmm. The leaven, of course, is always in your own life first— You wake up in the morning. I talked earlier about, you know, the words of God being your weapons when you speak them and trusting God. If you don't like baptism, then your trust in Jesus saving you, which is what baptism is, your trust in Jesus saving you, just think about that instead. That's that armor around you. And it's there the moment you believe it's there. Jesus says I'm his. And those words that that person said sound untrue to me. What does scripture say? Why am I afraid of this? Who is my God? Good questions to ask. And sir, again, would you want to explain to me how you came to that solution is a good way to buy time. In the conversation, while you're talking about that, by the way, Um, just keep listening, and all that. So, uh, the claim that that there should not be denominations in Christianity is, in fact, a non-biblical claim. What? Yes, the Bible says that there will have to be divisions in the church— So, anybody who would claim that the Bible should not, or that the church should not be divided, that we will never see those going out from us who are not of us in some way, shape, or form, even gradually over generations, that idea is nonsense. Paul is very clear in 1 Corinthians that divisions must arrive in order to show those who are approved. What does he mean by that? It's not that some of us are better than others, it's that the words that need to be confessed as eternally true are going to be confessed as eternally true by humans. And to make that clear and unmistakably greater than the babel of the present fallen age it will occur it will happen the words of jesus will arise as authentic meaning in every generation where he sends his spirit to make our lips say it yeah and in that then every denomination that wants to be a christian denomination should like that idea and want more of that and i would contend that if we spent more time in the scripture and less time with the assumptions of the world forming the way we study the scripture we might find that there's a lot less disagreement than we thought, or that some of those past disagreements were based on things that we don't even think anymore. Hmm. One of my favorite disagreements that I hate, I'll go on record, is between Lutherans and, and Calvinists over whether or not Jesus has a throne in heaven right now. Like, he's ascended into heaven, right? We're all good with that. Sat down at the right hand of the Father. Okay, we're all good with that. And, and then, so, sat down, what's that mean? Does that mean he's like on a cushion? Like, does his, does his bum get sore? Does he go to the bathroom? Does he get to stand up move around? Um, now, that wasn't the real question. The real question was, uh, back in the day, well, if he's sitting on that chair up there in heaven, like the Bible says, well, then how could he be everywhere in the Lord's supper? Oh, wow. You're just, you're really clever. You, you come up with that one? Wow. Jeez. Um, so, the Lutherans, unfortunately, couldn't just say, that's the, the, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. You're talking nonsense right now. How Jesus says anything is an irrelevant question please tell me how any miracle happens and then I'll be happy to answer your question about how that miracle happened. But you first you need to explain the feeding of the 5,000, you know, all those things. You're going to say, because Jesus is God. Okay, well, then that's my answer. <laughs> that's my answer. But that's not what the Lutheran said. And and it's, it's following Luther and God bless Luther. And and I think I even know, I understand what he said. I don't necessarily even disagree with what he said. It's when you mandate what he said that bothers me, which is that Jesus is not on a throne in heaven. There's not actually a physical throne in heaven. Uh, it, it, Jesus has, with his human body and without it ceasing to be human, because he can, also made his human body uh, kind of universally one with all creation in the uh, the original way that God does, right? Not not one in such a way as in. Uh, permanently well actually that's not true because via via his humanity he's permanently unified to all the dust right all the all the stuff and via his divinity is permanently unified to the creator sustainer reality of that and that his humanity was made one with that is what we believe the ascension means and it does not then require that he would be seated on a throne but he could in fact spread his human body humanly all the way through the universe trans time dimensionally because he knows how to because he's god so why would you ask how but I don't know why we have to go there. That's, that's why my, it's like my favorite stupid argument. Like talk about angels on the head of a pin. If Jesus wants to sit on a throne for three days in heaven and then go be cosmically spread everywhere for a while, I mean that's what I would do. I get bored in one place. So I, I just really don't understand how we help defend his humanity by making him sound like some sort of weirdo monster. It just does, it, it, and, and what we do then is we're divided. What the real argument was about is the Lord's Supper, but we divide over some other thing that's just our opinion rather than over the Lord's Supper. And then later on, anybody who comes along and doesn't agree with that opinion ends up being divided even further. And that's how you get m- multiple fractured denominations, and that's why you should never divide over anything that's not clearly established in the Scriptures. Clearly, clearly, clearly established in the Scriptures. Every schism is not about, well, that's not what the scripture says, so we're leaving, is in fact not from God. I hate to say it, but it's just true. Uh, this is the dogma of the church. They went out from us because they're not of us. Uh, so why why would you leave the Word of God behind? Uh, that being said, whenever someone leaves the Word of God behind and says that's not the Word of God as they go, if that's what they're saying, then you should be asking the question the other way. Dear heavens, do we have the Word of God? Let us return to the Word of God and discover if we have the Word of God because the posture of the Christian is repentance, right? The posture of the Christian is, I'm assuming I'm going to have to be corrected today a lot. I'm going to have to correct myself. I'm going to have to be corrected by God. You know, shame on my cow. Shame on my family. I just had to throw the Easter egg in because I do find Eddie Murphy to be very funny. But the uh, you And it was enough that it completely distracted me. Every day, you're fighting to believe what you need to believe, and the devil and the world in your flesh don't want you to believe it, and the beautiful power of the traditions of the church that have shown themselves willing to fight against the world in one way or another, and I would hold up then, even though I vehemently disagree with the Papists and the Methodists and the the official, kind of uh, semi-confessional Baptists and Calvinists, right, Um, in the Eastern Orthodox, they— intend to be Christianity based upon the heritage of the scriptures now that means different things to all those different groups and again I, I don't think that we should commune together by any stretch of the imagination but I don't think that the fact that we have disagreements over wait 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 are you saying I'm saved by grace or works I'm not so sure I don't I don't, I don't know I like that you're telling me I have to pay for it with money right like that's not a bad thing to have a disagreement about and the Bible says that'll happen so that we are sent back to the Bible. To show that we are approved by what we find in the Bible, which is that Christ is sufficient and that his word is what we believe. And then those who separate themselves from that, so that the Pope actually wants to just hold to the Pope's doctrine all the way to the Day of Judgment, and really not believe in grace and actually believe it's based on what he did the day he faces Jesus, well, then he's going to get that. And I can't stop that, and why would I say he's not going to get that, since that's what he says he gets. It's like the person who—there's another Twitter one recently—it's like, you know, they didn't like the answer that the the Calvinists don't have the Lord's Supper. Like I, uh, we Lutherans believe Calvinists, you do not have the Lord's Supper, and you get mad when we say that. And it's like, wait, can you slow down and not be so personal all the time about everything? <laughs> I mean, really, you say you don't have it. We're just repeating what you said, like, but we do have it. No, no, well, not according to what we think it is. So you're like, I have a Tesla, and I come over to your house, and it's like a Hot Wheels Tesla. You like my Tesla? I'm like, well, yeah. I like my neighbor's Tesla better. Why? Well, it's a real Tesla. But this is a real Tesla. Well, yeah, but it's not really a, a real a real Tesla. Like That's kind of where the Lutherans are stuck in the conversation, right? And you're all upset about it. It's like you say the body and blood of Jesus is not there. So we're like, okay, well, then you don't have the Lord's Supper. But we want to have the Lord's Supper. Well, then say that Jesus is there and you'll have the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's, it, we're not really trying to be obstinate. We're just trying to be common sense, which is, in theory, what you worship. <laughs> Did I say that? Uh, So, great question. Not you, Rebecca, worshiping common sense, but I would say that the Enlightenment's uh, scholastic need to make everything submit to the human mind is the flaw in Calvin, personally. Um, God bless him. I do plan to see him on the day of resurrection. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. God is working through the denominations. That doesn't mean he's not against many of them. In fact, I believe at this point in time, most of them are being destroyed by him. That's just my opinion, but it kind of looks like they're being torn down, very evidently. Uh, The human idolatry, the the worshiping of the things itself, the the buildings, the money, the formats, the solutions, the systems, all the things we've made, that seems to be more important to us than retaining the reason those things were made, which was the faith once for all delivered to the saints, into this next Dark Ages, and we seem more concerned about the stuff than about the things. And so, again, mad Christianity just says, well, get rid of the stuff then, and let's start talking about the things. Also, your question uh, about—well, we did that one already. So, Rebecca, great stuff this morning. Let's move on on, hmm. I said I was starting with short ones. It's funny, huh? All right. How are you guys all doing? I know there were some super chats. I want to recognize them too. Darth Mick came in with a super chat and, and that was the only one. Okay. Uh, he says, there are people on Twitter who claim to legit believe that two plus four is not equal before because math is sexist. Right. Tell them to stop using computers or to come up with computers that don't use a binary code. And then say you're a liar, you're a hypocrite. I mean, don't don't say that. That's the wrong way, but that's actually the right way. Again. Twitter, first off, don't argue. Second, face to face, real human. I think math is sexist. Oh, interesting. Okay. So what is I mean, I, I find that really fascinating. I, I don't I don't necessarily think you're wrong, although I kind of do, but I, I'd be willing to learn while you're right, but here's what you have to help me figure out, right? I just I don't understand. How are you gonna make computers work? Now, so that we can we can get rid of the ones we have because we have to get rid of like put your phone down. You're, a, you're how are you not a hypocrite? It, it uses binary code. It's it's a one zero system. It's an either or. It's it's as math two plus two plus four as it gets, and that doesn't exist. And I'm I'm with you. We have to figure this out. Tell me how are we going to do it? It's that common sense that will break the stronghold of their argument. Every human who is not a Christian is in a cycle of lies to themselves. And all day they're telling lies. The lies are, I'm a good person. And everything else they say is to make that lie true when they tell it to themselves when they look in the mirror or don't look in the mirror. So everything else then is hedged by that lie to protect that lie. Recognizing that that is true then, your goal as a Christian is not to tell them they're liars, but to get them to lie themselves into their own trap. And I mean now by lies not, I didn't do it, but this, philosophical, this philosophy pick here, this theory of the resurrection there, this complaint here, and if you show them that like, like oh, wait a minute, like that actually, none of that makes sense. Most people are be like, you're right, it doesn't, it's crud. I want it to make sense because I care about making sense. And by earning their trust, having that conversation gently, like, can you, can you explain to me how you're going to have a computer without math? i really like to see how it works. Um, since we have to tear the whole thing down systemic, that's the that's the claim, BLM, the whole thing has to come down. It's all systemic racism. I mean, that means the companies, that means the computers and the toys and the food industries and the food chains, all of it's gotta come down. So, okay. What's our plan? Can you help me with that before I join your team? <laughs> you know? Give them enough leash to hang themselves. All right. Um Andrick says this Fisk. Long-time fan, thank you. Much appreciate uh, your good work. I live in Germany. Oh, I think I know of you, Hendrik. I've heard of you. Thank you for your kind words about me in the past as well. That's very appreciative. Uh, I'm very appreciative that you've you've said those things. Um, I've, that I've heard. Um, I live in Germany. I'm a member of a small Lutheran church body once built and sustained by LCMS pastors. Nowadays, a Wells affiliated. I regularly recommend to folks here the stuff you and Wolf Mueller do, as it is super valuable and authentically Lutheran. Thank you. Uh, and now, and and thanks for recommending Wolf Mueller too. Do you recommend Roseboro much, and have you looked into them, just out of curiosity? Uh, now, as you may be aware of, in our circles, church fellowship is taken very seriously. Oh, cool. Yeah, ours too, sometimes. Um, <laughs> should be. Supposed to be. So, some people have asked me this. What do you faithfully Lutheran LCMS pastors do if members or even pastors from LCMS congregations with false practices or teachings would visit your church and want to go to the Lord's Supper or perhaps even preach if they are pastors? Oh, I wouldn't let him preach. Um, uh, I suppose the background for that is the impression on our end that within the LCMS exists a number of pastors and congregations that don't follow proper Lutheran doctrine and practice. Yeah, that's true. Uh, What could I respond to such a question? Right. So, look, if I had my greatest, most unbelieving antagonist, and he wouldn't even be like my antagonist, right? Like the the person I'm thinking of right now— no longer is in the LCMS. I have a a, a deep history. He knew me as a child. He was a loud voice against creation. He has a loud voice, six day creation, he's a loud voice against uh, ordination as so constituted by Jesus' apostleship and and the headship of man. Um, And he finally left the LCMS. But uh, he would be what I would call like a theological enemy. I mean, there was nothing that I ever heard from that guy. The only, I took a class at his feet in college and he practically destroyed my faith in the New Testament. That was his goal, I think, to some extent. Although he he claimed it before the faith. I I don't, and I don't know. I don't know. But if he showed up at my church right now and was still an LCMS member, see, he's been honest enough to go to a church that would not want to commune with us, right? Or shouldn't want to. Um, But if he showed up right now, my question to him would be, are you sure you would like to commune with me? (laughs) Right? Like, like, I I get that I, I got an issue with you, but how can you not think worse of me? Because in, in my system, I have grace for you, but in your system, I'm not sure you should have any grace for me. So so why are you here taking it from my hand? And based on that conversation, well, we'd see where that would go, wouldn't it now? Now, if someone who I just knew did some heterodox practices, things I wouldn't do, this is the part about being in a church body. When you affiliate with a church body, you're on board for the rules of engagement. And so, yeah, do we have a better, a really good way of handling disagreement between pastors and the LCMS? No, we don't. We sweep it under the carpet and put it into a legal system that disappears behind the scenes for two or three years and comes out with like irresolvable declarations that you just have to deal with. So most people don't use it because it's really painful no matter what you do. And so instead what we do... What I would do is I would respect that he's a brother in the office, and the church in which I'm in, and that as much as I might disagree about how he practices his subtle sacramentarianism, he nonetheless believes the Trinitarian God, Jesus is risen from the dead, baptism saves, abortion is murder, and a million other things that, in fact, we confess together. And our disagreements are nuances within the Lutheran confessions, which, while I agree with you, he would authentically not have on his side, I don't win him over by telling him he can't commune at my church when he at least wants to be in the Lutheran church body still, if he even showed up. Have I ever had this happen? No. I have people show up who are pastors who want to go to a church with liturgy. I'm pretty sure that pastors who want to go to church without liturgy go to different churches. And so for all that's there, that liturgical banner of, oh yeah, the hymnals are about Jesus. Oh, we got other songs about Jesus. They're better. That distinction um, has more or less separated the issue of, of community fellowship, except at conferences wherein usually you have a lot of both. But frankly, the liturgy tends to dominate, and I think that's because a lot of the younger guys actually want it. And so uh, it's, it's just not that easy, though, right? It's, you're at war, and this is your army. <laughs> you know, do you blow it up? Win and why? And I, I think the perspective of, of just about every conservative in the LCMS is, no, we shouldn't blow it up. It might go down. It probably is going down. But, but you know, so let's maybe be ready to jump. But it's... it's uh, You never help order by destroying order. Just because the structure itself isn't worth saving for itself doesn't mean it's worth blowing up on purpose. Different things. It's always costly to blow up a building. And it's in human capital when you're dealing with church bodies. So, it's just not that simple. Um... The bigger issue would be when laity come from what I would consider to be heterodox practicing churches. And at that point, I don't worry about it. Again, I trust that we're on the same squadron. And even though the squadron needs some tuning, they haven't left the squadron wherein what I say is actually what we believe. And what they're doing is not what we actually believe. So again, if they want to come to my place, well, then they've come to my place. And if they're going to confess their sins and bend their knee and not say, I won't take it because I don't like the liturgy— which I've had people do, well, then they self exclude, don't they? Yeah. Um, well, then, then I'm not going to worry about them joining my church. Yeah, we're in con- we're in confession with each other. I don't ever go to their churches. Don't take my family there. Not in a million years. <laughs> Why waste the time? I know it's there. I don't need to get angry. And my kids are just going to be confused. And they'll get angry too. I've, I did it once. <laughs> they were so pissed at me. <laughs> I was like, it'll be good. They'll get an experience. It wasn't even like a really full on one. It was like a halfway one. And they were looking at me, like, what? What is this? (laughs) And it's like, how do I teach my kids grace then, right? It's like, come on. These are nice people. These are Christians. You know, we need to smile. Uh, I'm still a pastor. (laughs) Uh, So, but it's just, it's politics. it's, It's the dirty war. Uh, of, of knowing that within the church as visibly construed, there is going to be leaven still there. That doesn't mean you never confront the leaven, right? But it does mean that you bear with your brothers in patience, provided that they are continuing to bear with you in patience in the conversation. It's on the day when the conversation gets cut off, which has not yet happened in the LCMS. Uh, the conversation gets cut off with regard to such things. We are no longer going to in any way discuss there's a good way to worship and a bad way to worship. We only have one. You're going to do it that would be the point where, you know, I'd say I can no longer practice. Um, And again, it all hinges upon our statement that my practice as a pastor is not bound by what the LCMS says. In in terms of, like, if the LCMS right now makes statements, my practice is not bound by them. My practice is informed by them. I am associated with them. Their brand can be something I brand with. But it's still like a it's still like a private practice, and then it's more like a private practice as a consultant coming alongside a privately owned corporation that then wants also to be led in the practice. Imagine if your doctor didn't own his practice, but it was owned by all—it was like a co-op, right? A co-op owned by all of the people who had needed a doctor. That's an interesting thought right there. And and, and you, you, know, you brought on the local doctor, and so he basically was only there for people who were going to the co-op. That's sort of what pastors do, right? Um, and especially in the LCMS, then, that co-op is independent of the church body insofar as the church body only has influential authority, which I think is really good. Like, its, it's influence is, we're going to tell you this is right, and then it's up to them to prove that that was a good idea. <laughs> That's a good way to have a leader work, I think. I, I actually really like that one. Um, and, and, and But that means that if the LCMS comes out today and they say something like, oh, this, that, this, that, right? And it's like, whoa, that was not from the Bible. This is from the devil himself. It's not just the obfuscation that we usually do, with, well, on the one hand, well, on the other and we're not really sure, but maybe this, and we still say the truth, but don't worry about it too much. I guess it's kind of been the last 30 years on a lot of things. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, if we come out, oh, oh I, I almost brought to the conclusion and I lost it. That was a long one, yeah? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get back to it. <clears throat> the system, when it turns itself against its purpose in the Word and promoting the Word, eventually ceases to do the work of the Word, but the Word will do its own work anyway. So even though I think I am taking a little right right turn here, though, uh, the, the what we should be doing across the board then, I know where I was going, but what we should be doing across the board then is always making sure that whatever structures or programs we're attaching, they never get so far removed from the actual study of the Word of God at all of them that they would become their own things without that Word of God being the reason. Yeah. Um, without that word of God being the reason. Ah. Uh. I remember, and I forgot again to finish that one. In any case, Hendrick, so it's, it's just complicated. Oh, there, I can finish it now. So in the LCMS, when the LCMS says do this, it is a recommendation both to me and the congregation, and we should assess it according to whether they told us this is from Scripture, whether they told us this is from the Confessions, whether they told us this is from our history as Lutherans, whether they told us this is from official organizations that are we're supporting, like the Defi- Alliance on Defending Freedom. Like all of that, you take it, and then you apply it as best you can or as you, seems even, as you believe seems even valuable in this time and place. The reason that you can do that, I think, faithfully— as a pastor in the LCMS today is because the only thing I'm required by them then as influencer to have to say is the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. End of story. Oh, there's this one thing about how we have to say, we have to say it's the Bible and Lutheran confessions. We call it the state brief statement. <laughs> because some people didn't want to believe that first part, so we just said you had to do it again, right? Like you, you have to believe the Bible, you have to believe the confessions, you have to believe the brief statement, which says you have to believe the Bible and the confessions, right? And and that is our conscience-binding, practice-binding reality. So whenever you run into anybody who's visiting your church, you're bound by that. And, you know, your answer to how do you handle heterodox pastors that visit you or talk with you is going to be based on your reading of that and the fact that brotherhood exists and Christianity is real and the, the word of God is sufficient to bind us together and you believe you're at war but you also believe in you're at a war to save and not drive away right and so you keep living that the same way you guys are doing it over there just uh, differenter <laughs> uh, just differenter oh my goodness we barely have moved into the depths here Christ's death was murder but we benefited other good things come from evil right oh this is in response to the virology stuff which I've been trying to like get my head away from a little bit that's like so deep um but the question is, can we benefit from past evils as Christians, knowingly? Or do we have to reject them because we know they were past evils? And I don't think this necessarily is the same question as a vaccine built upon embryonic cells. Um, I, not necessarily, but they're connected as questions. And uh, I think this one is, is the more first principle question, because if you don't have the answer to this one, you're not going to be able to answer the, the other one. And, and so it is, can you receive good from evil? And the answer biblically is yes, unequivocally. Joseph makes this plainly clear. We do all sorts of evil things and God turns it into good things. Does that therefore mean that vaccines created from... To aborted fetuses in the 70s that continue to be used in America today are therefore no longer a restriction on the conscience of Christians. No, I, mean, I think there's a number of reasons that you should consider why you might want to know more about vaccinolo- uh, virology and vaccines altogether. In terms of what they call, uh, you know, the long term. Uh, there's a good, good word. Where, uh, there's a good word for this. You know, we do a study that's long enough to take into account long term effects of things. Uh, most of our medicines, they kind of try to do that for a couple years with the fda but in terms of lifetime usages and things like that like so so there's all sorts of reasons to be careful about what you put in your body whenever you put anything in your body and questioning like if i don't know what that label says then what is it right do you want to know or do you just want to trust who (laughs) right the authority who said yes big brother is happy to give you what you need um so but your point here again I, i use joseph but christ's death being murder and we benefit from it that's right It's the worst thing that happened in the history of the world. We killed God. How bad are we? We sit here and we're like, oh, save the world. Make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people lying. And then God comes. And we nail him to a cross. (laughs) I mean, like, who are we? Demonic children? Yes. Yes. That is who we are. We're, we're quite wretched. And the greatest part of our wretchedness is we don't see it. We have no sight into our wretchedness. We we have the guilt that tells us it's there. And the pride to disbelieve it's possibly true. And uh, and Jesus loves you anyway. Clement Preuss' discussion, says Matthew, of praise songs in the fire of the staff is also a great r- resource in addition to the legendary praise song, Cruncher. Praise song, Cruncher, that's out of uh, Table Talk Radio, Brian Wolfmule and Evan Gaglin. Uh, Brian's early stuff as well, right? Um, And, you know, they would certain questions just to ask, not necessarily of a praise song. These are good questions for anything you read, anything you look at that claims to be Christianity. The praise song cruncher is pretty good. So you Google that. Uh, Maybe that'll end up in Mad Mondays. If you have not signed up for Mad Mondays, if you do not know about Mad Mondays, why are you watching my show and not signed up for Mad Mondays? Mad Mondays is the e-magazine you definitely want in your inbox every week. You will go past everything else that you look at, and you will go to this instead, because it says awesome stuff, sometimes from me, but also from others, yourselves and included sending in the best data mind information for worldview development for civilization as Christians in this present age. Even Al Moeller, although you should listen to Al Moeller or at least check out his headlines, even Al Moeller would be impressed. Al you out there? you watching? I hope I didn't slander you by saying you'd be impressed. But I think he'd be impressed. You gotta sign up for that and hopefully the praise on Cruncher will show up in one of these soon as a wreck from Matthew. Uh blah I feel like there was another way to go with Oh you mentioned also sorry Matthew Oh, this. oh, Fire on the Staff. Yeah, I wanted to say, Fire on the Staff by Clement Price is worth your read, especially if you are going to be a pastor. If you're going to be a pastor, you should read it. It is not the most systematically organized book ever. Uh, could have done well with uh, maybe another layer of editing. Um, it's a little long, filled with anecdotes, but it's a quite pleasant read. All the same. And that's maybe the more important thing then, right? So if you're going to this thing to get like the, I want the points, I want the argument, like it's not really written out that way. It's more of a, a, a ponderous journey. Ponderous? Pondersome? When you ponder on it. A pondering journey uh, through the spirituality of the cross. I mean, V's spirituality of the cross uh, goes at it in, in theory. And what, what Preuss says is shows you sort of in action. The ups and downs uh, of law and gospel in, in life and in ministry. And then he applies that at one point uh, quite significantly to why a, a church would want to change its music kind of universally and entirely across the board in a very short generation of time and and what that might mean for what we actually believe about ourselves. Um, Now, I don't know that he really hits it like I just said it, but that is the question he touches on. And as a young man, it was also very important to me. It helped me a great deal on my vicarage. In fact, I might have lost my faith uh, if not for that, um, because the songs I was having to listen to were not feeding it. Um, Pastor Fisk says, Pastor Joshua, uh, one of my favorite videos you've ever done was texas spaceman bunny marriage i don't even remember i remember the title and i'm glad that's one of your favorites one of my favorite comments i ever get from y'all out there in internet land is hey pastor fisk you once made a video about this what is it and i'm like have you looked at any of the titles of my videos ever do you think i remember any of that <laughs> so uh, um texas spaceman bunny marriage that might have been from the slayton years too that might have been one of his titles i don't know uh so long story short i do not remember most of what i put on the internet other than that i believe most of it to be true according to the lutheran confessions and the scriptures and so i could say it again right but but most of it uh, so i'm glad you loved it Now, uh, i shouldn't just ponder that uh, 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 uh. It helped from the, from the beginnings you're now quite large theological library. Oh, that's good. Uh, is that then the one where there is a book recommendations in that? Because that would be one we definitely want to get into Mad Mondays too, because we have had a number of questions recently about book recommendations. In fact, isn't it what this is? I'd love to see how you would update that list now. Yes. So let's get that list, people. Um, and if there are any new categories of books you think would be helpful to combat the white noise piece. Yes, there are, but I can't, let me, let me tell you this. You give me about a year and I'm going to have a brand new philosophy of libraries. Um uh, based upon vertical stacking. And you yeah, it's that dumb. And I'm just gonna do it for me. If you don't like it, that's fine. But I can't answer your question quite <laughs> in terms of categories until that, because the whole point of the vertical stacking is working in categories with your own work and having your library be also what you are writing amongst what everything else is being written. And it will be far easier to manage, I think, by stack um than by shelf. In any case, um experiment. Why not? You know? Uh what would I add to that list? Since I don't have that list in front of me, I cannot tell you what I would add. But it, let's ask the question differently. Pastor Fisk, are there theological works you have read in the last couple of years that have had a dynamic impact upon you? Yeah? How's that? Um, I'm going to say there's a book I continue to return to, if not physically, intellectually. And that is Bonhoeffer's Psalms book, the little tiny thing. A little tiny thing. I mean, really, uh, read a, read one little section a day for thirty days, and read your Psalms while you're doing it. And uh, it is it is one of the most dynamically useful little tools. It's so tiny, um, but uh, absolutely worth it. Uh, <sighs> Theological books. I have to confess, um, in the in the jumping that I've done uh, through media spheres the last couple of years, one of my great failures has been a a lack of continued reading in terms of just exploratory reading. So I've done a lot of reading that is, I got to do this. And in this way, I can say this, if you're going to buy a set of commentaries, if you're going to buy a set of commentaries on scripture, um, or if you just want one commentary on, particularly the Old Testament on a book, you really can't do worse than Kylan Dalich as a set. Now, Kylan Dalich, uh, it's old. It'll be expensive to get, um, although not too bad, but each book's going to be a book. Um, And... uh, it's filled with what you, you can see, faithful men who have some pre-leaven working into their systems. One of the guys, I think, is even officially going to end up in the Nazi party. Uh, no, 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 no. That's, that's the theological dictionary of the Old Testament. Don't, don't, don't slander Kyle Dalich. That's theological dictionary of the Old Testament. New Testament. Old Testament. New Testament. Um, in any case, uh, they, they have some historical critical thoughts, right? There'll be every once in a while, there'll be things where they question the history of the Bible, but it's very rare. Usually they don't, usually don't give into that at all. And they're, they're very aggressively against that. But what the book, what those books do for me, if I go to say Jeremiah 23 and open it up, I'm like, Oh my goodness, it's against the who and the why, Kylan and 25 minutes. You'll know that passage inside out and you'll have so many insights as to what's going on in the context. It's just a marvelous thing for yourself. So especially as a pastor, if you haven't found them, I mean, pick the one book in the old Testament that you know the least about that you've always wished you knew more about and find that version, that copy of the Kyle Dalich commentary, which also, by the way, is public domain and available free online, which I don't recommend reading online myself, but um, find a copy of that, sit down with it for a bit and you'll just be stunned at what comes out of that. Um, uh, and so that's where, like, holly, they have been my bread and butter in so many ways. Uh, the Psalter, Kyle and Dalich, what else have I returned to? I'm trying to think of what I returned to. Um, I just moved everything around. I, hold on. I've spent a lot of time in Judish's uh, evaluation of the charismatic claims. And I'm finding that what Smart Noted continues to do is, like, you can't just read anymore. Uh, you start thinking about it. <laughs> you start writing about it. And next thing you know, you have something that, that I keep being like, well, that's another book. Oh, there's another book. There's another book. And because I'm an author, I'm like, I got to publish it. And what I'm starting to realize is that smart notes aren't, it's not for writing books to publish. The point's not to write books to publish. The point is to write books for you, books that you understand. So going back to books, See, in that list that you have in, in Texas Basement Bunny Marriage is probably kind of the most important one to start with, is going back to the old books that are worth repeating again and again. The other thing I've been doing a lot of, I mean, most of my reading in the last three years has been on Audible, which has a terrible shortage of theology. And uh, and as a result of that, then, I've done a lot of reading in various scientific inquiries, physics, um, telomeres, uh, you know, the carnivore stuff has not been without its, its significant deep dive pursuits. So I've done a lot of first article study, and I think that connects a little bit to my own... Um, desire to see Christianity uh, embraced in practice rather than just kind of talked about as a theory, right? Uh, and I think that the, the third use, second use argument is a theory argument that has a practical answer, which is that we live on this planet and that uh, you, you, your, your ideas and your actions do have consequences on this planet. And So studying the laws of God as the pagans have learned to see them has been an inspiration to me because I find so many times in their works, things I wish I would find in the works of the leaders of the church. The number of times that I read a business book that says, if you are not absolutely committed to the very essence of who you are as a business, your business can never be great. Um, and then I watch the LCMS just not be committed to who it is over and over again, right? Um, I think that has theological implication. So there's also just the reality that that there isn't a category of books you don't want to have aside from, I mean, if you want a heresy shelf to laugh at it, but I honestly, I don't think you need a heresy shelf. Like don't have a heresy shelf. Throw that, throw that. put it where it belongs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but hopefully this is a great question and I hope I can ponder this more. I mean, it was asked like last week too. So I hope I can ponder this more and, and come up with a little more of a list. I know I have one. I have one that's written down. As like, if I were to teach you to be a pastor, what are the so many odd books I would have you read? But again, so many of them become a a combination of things. So our dogmatics, as Lutherans at least, needs to be combined with some other on-the-ground way of seeing it. Um, Example. I'm continuing to read, for a second time, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, alongside of Man Up by Jeff Hemmer. Two books about masculinity. Well, one says it's about leadership, but it's really about masculinity. Um, and women can do masculine things. They can be leaders, right? There are there are more masculine and less masculine women. It doesn't mean that male and female don't exist. Um, so uh, reading them beside each other, though, and, and then trying to understand how they go together, I find just as much theology in Jocko's work as I find in in Hammer's work. I just don't find any second article theology or third article theology in Hammer's work. i <laughs> in Jocko's work. That's all in Hammer's work. Yeah, but Jocko's theology is a theology of the true God, a theology of really the Ten Commandment God for the most part. And though he doesn't know it and he doesn't really believe in the true God, uh, like Confucius before him, he's kind of discovered that hey, this stuff makes sense. And when you find the pagans doing it better than us, I think we should listen to them. When they explain the Ten Commandments better than us, I think we should be like, okay, so I see what they're saying. It's not going to change. I'm, I'm going to start talking a little bit like that sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, what, 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 is, what is leadership? is fatherhood. is what it is. Fourth Commandment. Commandment. commandments. The commandment on leadership. Why do we have to talk about leadership? Well, because the fascists talk about leadership, and they bought or they they influenced our business culture uh, via the church. Actually, uh, you can again Google Roseboro fascism on that one. You can dig all you want. Um, and uh, by that influence, then of of fascism. Meaning leadership being the way that companies uh, have to exist. Leadership has become the term we use. But the thing is, you know, you have fascism as dictatorship, as evil, as power that you really don't want over you. And then you have kingdom as a completely lost idea, as even the king of Spain is now having to flee his own country. Dear heavens. Um, Kingdom as 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 a metaphor is completely lost to us now, right? It's completely gone to us. And yet the kingdom is the greater thing. Uh, The the king that we have is the one who will not fall. So then seeing his rule over the universe means knowing that when when the pagan says, ah, I see, the world is like this, it's possible to say, yeah. Because we already know that in our system, there's their words for it, leadership, our system, fatherhood. In our system, it connects to something far greater, namely God himself. Right, But it's still like a it's the gateway of truth, the gateway drug of truth, of common sense, available truth. You want to call it leadership, I'm going to call it fatherhood or even patriarchy. I'm against the patriarchy. Well— why? Cause the patriarch is against women. So a woman CEO. I call the woman CEO a patriarch, and you're against that for some reason? No, no. Well, okay. So, so fatherhood uh, naturally is the idea of, of of seeding something, creating something, right? The one who brings it forth, the one who begets. It, it's a very physical thing for us as humans, and we shouldn't really like be too ashamed of it. You know, I mean, so marriage is and all that. I know people don't believe in that, but <laughs> at the same time, the idea we still seem to believe that uh, there should be someone who should do something about something. That's what the father is. God first, and then every father to his child, and then fathers of countries and fathers of churches, like it's all across the board the same thing. Um So studying leadership for me has been the thing I've been doing trying to find my way to being a, a biblical man and a father. And that's not without the rest of it. Proverbs, um I'll tell you this one. I mean see this isn't for your library, but if you're not reading Proverbs, you're a fool. I'll leave it at that. So Proverbs says <laughs> You know, uh, FYI, Kylan Dalich, Kindle Edition is 2 Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. If you want to, and, and for the way I use Kylan Dalich, that might work. That might work. I'm just, I'm done with digital reading myself. I believe it is in fact less intelligent. And I don't mean that like you're a bad person. <laughs> you get mad at me. I mean it like science, like two plus two equals four. Like, like if you try to read on a screen, you can, but it will in fact make you dumber over time. And if you'd read on, on paper with a pen in your hand and paper next to you it will make you smarter over time if you read a screen with a paper and pen it will also make you smarter than dumber but if you are only doing screens and someone else is only doing actual books even if you're doing books on screens i would contend that over time you would find a gap widening maybe it's not long enough but i don't know as a civilization we got a lot of time ahead of us so um yeah there are two people uh, there are people on Twitter who claim to you for that two pers- oh, yeah you did that i did that one thank you Darth Maik. Thank you. thank you thank you all right That was me making noises that you didn't want to hear, and we're going to go to this question. Oh, so an Onion article that, I guess, mentions my city. I haven't seen this yet. I thought this was a bit humorous, and as a comedy, Uh, as comedy is based on truth, shows what funerals are like when not centered on Christ, couldn't resist passing along. It occurred in Rockford. So from The Onion, this is satire, right? The Onion is a satire newspaper. Nothing it says is true, although... Like the Simpsons, it often is. Um, And if you've never found the Babylon Bee, it's a Christian version, which is also pretty funny usually. So it says this. Uh, describing the ceremony as lackluster, but nonetheless functional, family friend Taylor Evans told reporters Wednesday that the homegoing service of Charles Culpepper was just all right. It wasn't one of my favorites, not even in my, so sad, in my top five, but it celebrated Chuck's life, and that's ultimately what it's all about. Well, for many people, it is, said Evans. Uh, noting that uh, the less-than-spectacular turnout and describing the reception spread as fairly pedestrian. That's right. You can only do you know white bread and, and tuna sandwiches. For so long. I like that his grandfather, grandfather uh, kept it short with her eulogy. They had a little slideshow of pictures, and a few of them were pretty funny, I guess. I decided to skip the repast, and uh, that should really tell you all that you need to know. That's really sad, actually. I I, I get it. What's, what's more sad to me than even is, is how funerals, hospitals, all that kind of stuff has been impacted by COVID. And this is where you have to forgive your pastors if they get a little ragey at times about this, because not everyone's necessarily seen individual lives wherein like people are dying alone without someone who loves them near them. And how much of that has happened across this country and just knowing that it's happened and that it's been done in the name of saving lives. Uh, while I know the battle of the soul that takes place before death and the desire for the word of God to be given to you and for someone to come and even just smile at you. Hopefully the doctors and nurses were doing that much. And I'm sure the real heroes were. But the fact is, I mean, this has been disastrous on so many levels. So I, forgive me if I can't laugh at anything about funerals at the moment. Um, but it is funny that people think funerals are about the person. And that's why funerals are sad. It's a celebration of his life as he's a, he's a corpse. He's, he's, he's dead. It's much better to celebrate that he is dead but shall rise because Christ is alive still and ascended. Uh, Brett says, I started the newsletter this week. Love it. How do I read the previous issues? The link you need is redfist.com slash madmondayarchive. I'll say it again. Redfist.com slash madmondayarchive. Go there. Go there. Go there. Saturday. Saturday only. Actually, always. You can get the old back issues of Mad Mondays. And there's all sorts of good content there now. Um, some of it dated. Some of it not. But um yeah, absolutely. If you haven't signed up for Mad Mondays, I don't know what you're doing with your life. So, p- 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 keeping on. We get some Bible. Bible, 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 Bible. On praying the Psalms, as antidote to the white noise, Jim says, you are so right. Thank you. I read the Psalms instead of TV, but Psalm 82 has eighty-two has me—I read the Psalms instead of TV. Good for you. But Psalm 82 has me befuddled. Maybe sometime you can clarify it for me. So, we're going to take a look at it now. And I will respond based upon what I can. I can't—I'll I, tell you before we look at it, I am not a Psalm 82 expert. So my knowledge of the Psalms has grown significantly in the last couple of years, but hardly is masterful. Um, so I do not know off the top of my head if I will be able to help. But let's see. Let's see what I can do. And I can certainly look it up uh, in Kylan Dalich. Their psalm commentary, by the way, really good. Their psalm com- commentary is fantastic. I don't agree with everything it says. They say David did this or didn't do that. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But um, but by and large, as a commentary on this, I mean, it'll put the language of the psalms into such good translation even. All right. So here's what it says. Psalm 82. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak from the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All are the all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, "You are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you." Nevertheless, like men, you shall die, and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. You don't get that? It's not like really evident. Obvious. You know some of it seems pretty straight up on the surface, and then you have the the hardest thing going on in this psalm is poetry, okay, and I know that for like eighty percent or even ninety percent of the world, English class ruined poetry for you, <clears throat> and I'm sorry, I understand, and yeah, it was taught probably not in a good way. I'm not a fan of Deweyite education. We can talk about that any other time. I think it's kind of the destruction of civilization. Almost everything we're doing right now, we can pin on the Deweyite renovation of education to industrialize it uh, pre pre 40s. Um, but that's, you know, I'll give my opinion. Um, as a result of it, most of us don't like poetry nor read it, even though it once upon a time was something all of us would have been doing. That again shows you how the stupid box has stupefied us. Um but there's one thing to read English poetry. That's tough. Now, you're reading Hebrew poetry in English when you're reading the Psalms. And so you just have to memorize, sorry, a couple of key insights, key tweaks, key things that it sometimes does. You know, if you were doing this in English, you would say, well, poetry usually rhymes. Although it doesn't really. But, but you know, you might think that. Roses are red, violets are blue. So, oh, look, it's a rhyme. And that helps you understand what's going on in the poem. A limerick, right? The, the format itself helps you get the joke. And so Hebrew does that too, but just with completely different things. And so one of the first things to know is that it just changes topics randomly and assumes you're going to fill in a lot of blanks. So you kind of have – and I'm just – I haven't studied this one, but I'm saying you've got at least three, maybe five section breaks in these eight verses where you have complete about faces. And you have to see it more as a movie with various speakers saying different things than as one big pile of information for you to read. Okay? It's like a script. So the first verse here, verse 1, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment, okay? So that's the setup. That's like we're going to paint the picture here. We have a god on a throne. Should we argue about it? (laughs) Um, we have a God on a throne, and the divine council ultimately is the council between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the inner council of the Trinity that no one can see but because Jesus has come out from behind the veil. He, in fact, brings it forth to us, and that's why we get to see the throne room of God as Isaiah and, and John and Revelation, they all see that reality, right? And he sits down, and his, his robes fill the temple, and he's got smoke going everywhere and shaking, yada, 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 right? Every time that you see God's presence in the Bible, that's what's going on. And again, that is Christ, the man glorified as the begotten, face of the Father, yeah? So, that picture is here, and then it says that he's going to judge the gods of the world. Well, what does that mean? It's not the way the Bible usually uses this word, and interestingly, I mean, I haven't looked at the Hebrew, but if you look at the Hebrew, it's going to say, Elohim has taken his place in the Divine Council in the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. Because Elohim is a plural word that is only ever plural, and refers to God, The singular, triune, which I would imply, if you're going to say, well, how could it be plural and about God? I'm saying, well, the Trinity answered that question pretty easily. Uh, But, you know, that's a silly question. The point is that, is it talking about himself here or someone else? The editors clearly, the history of tradition clearly says he's somebody else. Who are these other gods? Are they demons? Are they Zeus? Are they you? I think the, the psalm, I think, answers the question for us. Jesus says too, I'll just give you the hint. Jesus says it's us. Yes, we are gods. But we're not gods like with the big G omniscient gods. But just take half a moment back. Look at your yard. Birds, sky, trees. Imagine the most scary animal in the world. The biggest animal in the world. Uh the, the cutest, funnest animal in the world. Uh, the smartest animal in the world. You're a God beside these things. Okay? You're a God in nature. It's pretty awesome, really. That's what Jesus says of us, and it's why our rebellion is so terrible. That's why our rebellion impacts nature. It's why when Adam falls, it's not just Adam who falls, the thorns grow on the on the plants, right? Because he's he's like a god. Because he is the image of God, a reflection of God. Right? So it's not that it's not that weird, really if you can like put it in some tokenist forms too, like in, in Tolkien's language, you know, are the, are the Numenorians gods? Well, eh, what do you mean by God? But yeah, they kind of are. So, um, and, and then the men who are descended from them, are they not like kind of partly gods? Well, yeah, they kind of are. They live longer, all this stuff. So the idea here is that you should understand your position in creation is higher than the angels, <laughs> right? You're like gods, even unto the angels. The angels serve you. That's why the devil hates you so much. Huh? The, the angels serve you. You don't get to command them around. God commands them around. They serve you. It's, it's a sweet relationship. Anyway, that's another time. So God has taken his place to judge the gods, okay? To judge us. That's the picture. And what does he say? Here's what he says to us. How long will you judge unjustly? Blah, blah, blah. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Question mark. And then you got that other word there. Salah. Right. If you're ever reading this in church and you're trying, it's the law. Everyone kind of does it. it. It's a pause. <laughs> I mean, we actually we don't know. I'll be here. We have no idea what that word means. It shows up all the way through the psalter. It seems to be like a music note of some kind, right? Like this is like a instructions to the choirmaster in some way. What does it mean? I'll tell you this. It always means there's an, there's an intellectual pause. You don't even have to pause the reading of it, but there's, there's a break. So we're talking poetry. You have two verses. You have two sections so far. And the fact that Salah shows up guarantees you there is at least one section that ends at verse two, but the quotation marks and the fact that he's talking means it's a second section, right? So you have, I said before, we have like five. So here's one is a picture. One is a second section that's going to continue a conversation with a question, with the quotation marks, but is saying something distinct that you're supposed to ponder. Right? This is like the summary of the entire thing. God says to mankind, how long are you going to be stupid? And by being stupid, be evil too. God's so mean, you know. I just don't understand why he's always on my back about me being stupid and evil. I only am trying to be good in stupid and evil ways. <laughs> you know. So um, the question uh, is is very much the question he's always asked from the start. You know, um, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How long I've longed to gather you in my arms, and yet you would not. Right? Why? Why? I hold out my arms all day to a stubborn neck people. So it's kind of the same idea. And for your sake then, it's to bring you into that judgment in fear so you can remember that you have nothing to fear in that judgment, right? So you're going to have the fear of your own self, man, uh, being punished by God uh, that will lead you to remembering who your God is, that through this, in theory, while everyone else is being condemned, will lead you to rejoice in the condemnation as your salvation because Christ is the condemnation that saves you on the cross, right? So um, now, from that Salah moment of, okay, everything else that follows, at least within the quotation mark, is going to be a new thought. So now in verses three and four, I think um, we have a third section. Uh, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. All right. So after he says, how long are you going to be stupid and do evil things? He says, do some good things and don't be stupid instead. Right. And what does that mean? Now, there's a number of ways to look at this, and of course, in our age of uh, uh, peacefully protesting into violent mobs over many things, which may be wrong or may also not be wrong, depending on your context, <laughs> in such a place, you could hear these words as being about what might be called the social gospel, or the idea that we're supposed to help our neighbor, the idea that we need, you know, the poor ought to be helped in general as a rule of thumb for life, that kind of thing. Um, But that's really not quite what's going on here. At least that's not alone what's going on here. Now again, remember, you can't rise from the dead and stay dead. Like, it doesn't work. So you don't get to believe in the true justification of the flesh and then act like you're still free to only do evil things and not worry about it, right? So so you have to read these verses believing that the gospel of Jesus being risen from the dead, the fact that you're paid for, the fact that you cannot die, that this will have a consequence in you, which is faith, which will lead you to actually want to do these things— and see that the heart of them is not first and foremost to meet your brother's need for bread that perishes with its use. But to meet your brother's need for bread that does not perish. Yeah, the bread, the bread of immortality. So give justification to the confused conscience and the one whose father has not taught him of God. Maintain the rights of those who are oppressed by loudmouth boasts and ignorance in the congregation rescue those consciences that are glimmering wicks ready to snuff out and blow the spirit's breath upon them deliver them from the hand of the wicked the liar now that could include feeding the poor or it could not it does as a concept includes feeding everybody with what they get it includes being good all the way to the top but that starts with believing in the right God It's not just about how you're going to build a just society, and you go ahead and try, and what you will build is a rotten society. You you cannot build a just society. We cannot build a just society unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain. Yesterday I had a really tangent. Yesterday I had a really amazing set of conversations with the founding initial party that's going to form the uh, what do we call them the um, the high commands? A little bit extreme, Uh, you know the the initial leadership group, the initial fatherhood group, the prototype group. for networking the lutheran land Uh, the lutheran layman's local action network lutheran l-l-a-n the lutheran land a way to get connected as men initially and primarily so women if you want to be involved you need men involved please believe me you need your men involved without you first and so encourage your men to get involved because that's what it's about and then you will follow and it will be good for all Uh, that's that's that is leadership that is fatherhood in the scriptures so, the Lutheran Land, we had some initial talks yesterday that just are super exciting about the desire to be both the Christian Lutherans who uh, who know our faith, are unashamed of our faith, are willing to speak our faith uh, and uh, and yet not back away uh, from engaging the world in fear that somehow. You know, we might we might lose this thing, right? So there there is so much excitement to take, even with these verses, you know, give justification to the weak in heart, maintain the right of the afflicted from the liar, right? Break down the strongholds of the enemy as he seeks to bind your conscience. And in this way, be set free to actually show real love to all men. That is now God's command to do, rather than sit at your duff, watch TV, and listen to whatever they tell you. <laughs> and assume that that's what life's really about. But I will get to play sports. Well... I'm not saying you shouldn't. Uh, sports can be commended to you. Sports are good. Uh, you, you can learn many things like discipline through sports. But really, America, you do realize like we were right on the verge of youth sports being our purpose for existence as a civilization. It's no wonder it's fallen apart. You know, I mean, it just it just can't be. And there's something really good about like the 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 rite of passage in sports, and, and to some extent even the mating ritual in sports and all this. But but, um, just just to distinguish the difference, look. I can't imagine right now being the guy who's like, who's who's the he's like a Heisman winner that went back to play football again, right? And they're going to cancel the whole season on him. It's just ridiculous. I can't imagine that. And yet, like, like the pain he's been through, his whole life's been to this. He's going to play pro, but still, like like this is team. He's, I mean, other, these guys aren't going to play pro. He cares about. I completely get it. And and to think that somehow the healthiest people in the world under sunshine are going to like it's, it's just it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Politics. You don't like it. I mean, pay more attention to who's saying it's dangerous and why and see how it changes later. And if you like sports, don't vote that way anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's, it really is one-sided at this point, guys. I'm sorry. I know you don't like it, but it really is. Um, most of us on the other side are like, yes, we should be careful. But there are certain things that the science is pretty clear you don't have to worry about. We should not worry about those things. Uh, uh, tangent. Sports. The guy who lost the ability. I don't know his name. Heisman guy. Right. Or is losing the ability to play. Rewind. A hundred years. I don't care what color you are. It was worse. Go back another hundred years. It was worse. Another 150 years, 200 years, 10, 300 years. Sports? Sports? You're 16? Get to work. <laughs> that was it. So like like just get, we gotta we gotta we gotta buck up a little on this one, eh? Buck up a little on this one. If you still play sports in your yard, that's freedom. Not everyone's always had. So and with that said, back to it, right? Living the life together as those who are made wise by the scriptures and so desire good rather than evil. That's verses uh, 1 through 4. And God says this is what he desires. Verse 5, they, now, now he's referring to the world, really the nations, right? He's judging the gods. He's said already these things about us. And as Christians, we're like, oh, that's pretty good, actually, right? But then he says, this is humanity. This is, this is all of us that are not believers, including the unbeliever that is within your flesh, your old man. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now, ah, that's interesting, isn't it? I, I just read without thinking, and that always makes it a little more difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, verse 5, at first glance in the English, would appear to be needing another verse. In the Hebrew attempt to do poetry, and then the English attempt to keep it Hebrew poetry, the spacing of the verse numbers by Masoretes has been respected. And in any case, I'm not sure that it's supposed to read the way I just read it. But clearly, what is it saying is this, in one idea, and then another idea that maybe is connected to that, maybe is connected to what comes next. I think it's what comes next. Um, The idea first is that humanity is in, is blind, right that we are in fact when it comes to really winning when it comes to really having a successful life just of ourselves we have bad measurements we are completely in the dark we are blind men leading blind men and shouting about how smart we are you've heard the bit about the elephant right Blind men in a room with an elephant is like trying to describe God. This one says God is like a, a tusk, and this one says God is like a trunk, and this one said God is like a tail, uh, but but none of us really know who who God is. Uh, we're so smart we've understood that we can't understand God. And I was like, yep, you have neither knowledge nor foundation. However, Flick, here's a light switch. I'm an elephant. <laughs> Listen to me. Yeah? Uh, and we don't. We don't. Mankind is blind. So to see that as the meaning of that verse. And then, all the foundations of the earth are shaken, I would say, kind of like as I said. Because when do the foundations of the earth shake? When God speaks? All the time. So I'm going to read this into his conversation down here right? As he he says something new, because the I said means even though he was talking before, we have a description of the earth shaking. Um, Actually, here's a a good question. Is they have neither knowledge nor understanding God speaking or not? The putting of the quotes, that's just an editorial decision. So you kind of got to make that decision on your own. It could just be reading straight through. In either case, that verse six says, I said is implying again, a new emphasis on something. So here it is. I said, creation, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. And actually, redemption, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Christ declares it, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Who? You and me, the Christian? No. Well, I mean, we're going to die in our body. But no, I think what it's talking about here is is that no man will escape the judgment against us in our fall. And so even though we are created higher above the animals than, and even above the angels than anyone else, that will not cause us to escape uh, and die uh, even any prince i think maybe right so the like language here so much of hebrew poetry is really guesswork on prepositions and things so um you know in you're even missing a bunch of words if you go look at your um like a New King James Version, you'll see there's some words that are italicized, especially in the Psalms, you'll see a lot of that. Those are fill-in words to help make sense of what it says, because it's incomplete sentences through most of it. Um, not that it says this, I'm going to guess, but it would be something like, I said, you gods, sons of the Most High, all, nevertheless, men shall die like any prince, right? And and like, so we add a couple words and try to make it make sense, but the point here with the prince language then is, in either case, um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you would die like a prince. In fact, I think that's probably quite wrong. Um, there's a good chance it means that you know, even a prince, even a noble, even somebody with wealth, they don't escape this. And then you have the response in verse 8. This is great. This is the Christian. Amen. Arise, right, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. So I say, is that what's going to happen? Well, then let's get busy. Oh, here we go. You know, are you going to come down from Sinai with fire and smoke and wipe it all away and separate the sheep from the goats and give those blood-bought eternal life and tell those who who hate the blood? Well, I mean, you want to be blind? There's the blind spot. Go over there. It's a lot of fire. Like, like. Well, then let's get this thing on. You know. And in the meantime, if all we have in the meantime is to tell that story again and again, well, let's get that thing on. Psalm eighty-two. Now, I, I'm fact-check me. I've not studied it before. I may have made a guess or two that is out of order, but I hope that helped a little bit. I bet it did, bet it did, But it did. What time are we at? 10.30. We're supposed to be done right now. Dan says this. We're at least getting to this one here. I might go next hour today. We'll see. We'll see. Do you want me to go next hour today? You're going to stick around? We are low in attendance. 80. Oh, I just quit. I'm kidding. I'm completely kidding. Um, Thank you, you 80, for being here. We had 117 last week. What happened? Is there something big going on this weekend? It is summer. Dear Pastor Fisk, Dan says, thank you for continuing to do the Saturday morning show. You know what? You're welcome. Yeah, I, uh, I was thinking this morning, I gave up my Saturdays. That was dumb. <laughs> but you know what? Then my next thought was, no, I really enjoy this. It's like, it's like, it's great. If I can just stop thinking I have to do it, and I got to do it, if I, don't, I really like doing it. So much of the hang-up and procrastination is your own head. You ever notice that? It's just the lies you tell yourself ah, and the fears you tell yourself. Dan says, thank you again. It's been helping me keep my proverbial balance in this insane time in which we live. I tell you, the Proverbs will too. I almost got to that earlier today. Here's a goal. Uh, read yourself five Proverbs a day the rest of your life. Smart on them. I guarantee you, you will be a very perceptive individual within a year or two. Just, just start smartening Proverbs. You will... You won't even know. I mean, there'll be times where you're like, there's a proverb that says this, but there's other times where you're just going to be like suddenly doing good things. And you never even know you did it, but you did the right thing because the word of God in Proverbs is there to make you a man. Really. Um, do it. Uh, so in engineering, there's the idea of signal to noise ratio. Yeah. Uh, the higher the ratio, the more signal. Okay. Right. So the, the more signals coming through, the noise isn't breaking it. Right. And that's called signal to noise ratio. Good. Um, Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. good information is more likely to be received in a high ratio then, right? You're actually going to get the full message correct. This is why, by the way, like Twitter, which only allows so much versus email that allows a little more, like the more information you have, the more likely you are to be correct. That's math <laughs> and um, in statistics. Uh, and uh, so that's also the fact for conversations and most of our social media does not allow for enough information to be correct, which is what leads to conflict because we're a bunch of sinners who don't like each other and want to defend ourselves. All that said, yeah, signal noise. The noise hit particularly high for me this past weekend with close and well-meaning friends parroting things uncritically. I know it's weird, isn't it? It's like, it's like being in the matrix. Thank you. It is. Uh, thank you for the constant reminder about the noise. You're welcome. Cause it's like being in the matrix and it really is. And the red pill doesn't take you out of a machine. It, it takes you out of, uh, honestly, um, the brainwashing. The brainwashing. Uh, what is the most effective way to give to your online ministry? I read that Super Chat has Google tax of 30, 30 I didn't know it was 30%. Jeez. Does my church have the ability to b- begin a more effective path for online donations? Uh, no. I will never run this through my congregation. Uh, I, I, I cannot risk them. Right? Uh, that, that is not fair to them. Uh, so, currently, they do pay me a salary for work I do for them. None of this work is work I do. For them, although I do do it for them too, because this is good for everyone there's a proverb I kind of live by it 's called a rising tide it 's not actually a proverb <laughs> uh, it 's a Latin proverb a rising tide lifts all ships right if you're in the same harbor and the water comes in, you can all leave right as long as the water came in, so you really just want the water to come in and it doesn 't matter how the water comes in if someone else brings the water in, then that's going to help you right and so i've I've always tried to look at most of what I do in that regard, and then also when it comes to Online giving, my experience with starting a nonprofit uh, led me to believe that I don't care how much they tax it, and we sh- you shouldn't either. Certainly, if there's an easy way to not get taxed and to give more, that's what you should do. But the fact is the sword's going to come in and take its cut no matter what we do, and to, to – you have you, if there is a way to have the sword take less cut from you, right? Well, you pay less in money, but you pay more, and I mean a whole lot more in time, which then becomes more money. To pay for the time to do all the things. Okay. So, like in that regard, take the tax and give me my time because I would rather spend my time doing what I'm good at, which is not building a nonprofit organization, but talking about Jesus to you. Right. So, um, at this point, I hitched my wagon, God help me, to Patreon. Patreon is a way to support creatives, creators, Um, and uh, as long as they don't go too woke on me and kick me off, it's a way that provides a significant source of my income. In fact, uh, a third. So if you want to support what I do, you need to support me because this is an independent endeavor, a private endeavor. Um, It is not going to become a, non- a nonprofit. It is simply something that I funnel. You have to believe. I funnel all the proceeds of my entire life into making more of this stuff, like, like, There are things I do for fun, but mostly what I do is funnel it back into making stuff with Jesus in it. (laughs) So, so the money that I have that is sitting around, I don't really have any sitting around. I know I have, I have retirement planning going on, but by and large, the money that we have is either invested in making good Christian kids or in putting more into what I'm doing here. So uh, that private endeavor that I have, which is a uh, sole proprietor at this point, uh, is run through Patreon. Again, Patreon could cut me off pretty quickly and cause me a lot of trouble. Um, it would only, you know, I got a couple of months I could probably get, get by on. Um, that's why the newsletter is so important because the newsletter is how I can get to you if they cut off everything else. Right? I always have that email list, and so if you really want to support me, just get on that email list first. Like, do that because when they block you, when they shut down your Twitter, when they decide that you are faux pas, when you cannot speak anymore, they can't stop you from sending an email just yet. And so you'll be able to find where we would set up shop independently of Twitter, uh, of, of uh, Patreon, uh, at that point. But for the moment, if you want to support me, Patreon's the place. They do take a tax. It is not 30%. It's somewhere around 4 or 5% in there. I don't look too closely at it. Um, I, I do know, though, however, that whatever they're taking, uh, the Patreon giving continues to be the primary engine by which I'm able to do what I'm doing more and more and more. Uh, Super chat is something people do because they want to do. Um, it just kind of shows up. It's there. Uh, I do not see a 30% behind the scenes on that, but that'd be crazy. That's just crazy. I'd, I'd turn it off. It's really that bad. So if someone wants to do some information on deep diving on that one, um, I think it's more in the, in the realm of like a five again, uh, five percent is, it's six, seven maybe. It's around where, what, what, Patreon would be the, you know, alternate options are things like, um, uh, PayPal. Uh, PayPal does exist as a way to give money, but they've done some new things with with balanceless transfers that I'm not really comfortable with just yet. Um, and also, they also take a cut if it's in any way anything other than a, a gift. The cool thing about uh, small giving over time like you would do via Patreon is that in theory, I could report it as gifts because you don't give a, a certain amount um, uh, above a certain amount. So especially if it's a cash gift through, say, then Patreon, not Patreon, through PayPal instead. But again, that's a lot more work. Like the work to get money through PayPal or through Stripe, to invoice everybody who wants to give me five dollars like that isn't worth the five dollars right so the patreon becomes the place where you got to go if we if i can find a better one i would but then again once they get you in it's like the podcast so the podcast right now we're rebooting is a brief history of power i'm excited about the new episodes out of to me we recorded the second one it'll be right next week it's getting even better um uh, with all of that going on, the podcast is hosted by Podbean, which I pay for. I just paid for another year, hundred and fifty bucks or whatever uh and you know in order to have your stuff, any hosting of podcasts, your stuff goes away unless you pay something for it, and over time your stuff will just disappear now, the question is not you know how do I keep my stuff from disappearing? The question is how do I move it off of Podbean onto a better platform that's not as i don't know it's just better more more progressively improving than than podbean is um maybe with better uh ways to get onto. I heart radio and things like that. Right. So, but who has time for that? Right. So it always kind of comes back to what's the more valuable thing, time or money. And I know that in the history of the world, we've been taught to believe that time is, or that money is more valuable than time. But I tell you, that's a lie. That's a super, super, super lie. Oh, I did this one already. All right. So let's see here. Uh, Ardith did throw a super chat that I'll throw out here. Uh, Oh, did we? That's great. I didn't see that number at all. Wow. Cause like, cause like last week, uh, when it was up at like 117, like that stuck until right when I shut off. Right. Um, so we made it to 112 at one point. we will love an extra hour. Okay. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a little break so I can go get some more water and some coffee. Uh, and we're going to come back. I've got some of these longer, let me show you longer questions, right? So, uh, we will return momentarily and handle a bit more for you. Oh, that, that didn't work out very well. Welcome back. We're here. We're ready to go. Uh, I was reading your comments and got distracted. Uh, so, Darth Mick says, uh, i going to be honest, I've listened to these at work, so longer is better for me. Well, glad to provide. And when you run out, make sure you get some Dan Carlin Hardcore History. You will not be disappointed. Uh, I am contemplating uh, changing my perspective here. Let's see if this works. The one that I just had was here. Let's do it like this for a little bit today. Here we go. So, oh, i got to move this, though pastor fisk says david Need mm. to you get your coffee mm. i've been buying the sorry david you're gonna you're gonna wait <laughs> i've been uh my wife who does the shopping at costco now has been um buying their kirkland brand canned uh coffee it's, it's like the um it's like the cold brew. I think it is a cold brew. It's a canned cold brew coffee. And it's a little more than buying just the ground, you know, the beans, but not too much. And it's really quite good. The only problem is it's caffeinated. <laughs> and I would like some decaffeinated sometimes because uh, it's so good. I keep drinking it. Um, and uh, in the meantime, uh, Stacy says this. I had discussed with my son how easy it is to listen to a sermon on teaching at home while doing dishes, laundry, and other and hard to sit at church. Isn't it amazing how your mind likes to have something to function on? Try taking notes at church. I am not kidding. Take notes. I'm not kidding. Take notes. Review the notes later. Turn them into a different set of notes. Pick them up once. Turn them into a different set of notes. Throw it away and you will be smarter by tenfold. At least. At least. I promise. It makes your brain work like on superpower. David says this. How to make your brain work on stupid power. I have been contemplating the life of title of your newsletter, Kill Your TV. Yes. Me too. My wife and I have gone round and round about what this looks like. Yeah. Me too. Uh, so Not just recently, but a year, about a year ago, she tried to calm me down from burning all my TVs in the backyard. I don't know that burning the chemicals that are in the TV on your property is a good idea. But, um, yeah, I have had the idea of turning a TV into a fish tank. But that would be interesting. Um, the concept seems to be easy enough, but execution is impossible. Yeah, well, let's just slow down for a second here again. What do you mean by kill your TV? Now. Did Neo kill the Matrix? And if you don't know the movie, you're just going to have to go watch it because it's part of the catechism now. <laughs> did Neo, uh, you know, did he kill the Matrix? I don't think he killed the Matrix. He just realized what the Matrix was and realized who was in control of the Matrix. So Kill Your TV isn't really about becoming a Luddite. What's a Luddite? I should put that word on the screen. We're in the last hour. We're in the extra hour. You're going to put up with me being annoying. All right, here we go. Overlays. Text. I think it's with two L's. L-U-D-D-I-T-E. But, uh-oh, it definitely doesn't have a period. <laughs> do not spell Luddite with period. It has an E. Oh, that's, that. there, there we go, Luddite. You know, I think it's, I'm going to go ahead and say it's like this. I'm going to say it's like this. I think it's like that. It might be two D's. A Luddite. What's a Luddite? It's an old school word. Quakers, on Equators, Quakers. Amish are Luddites, right? At least they appear to be Luddites. A Luddite rejects technology because it is technology. Oh, look, there we go. Can I do that on my shirt? Uh, a Luddite rejects technology because it is technology. Oh it's not gonna work. <laughs> Sorry. If you're if you're listening, I'm trying to make Luddite be underneath my AR on my t-shirt. Uh yeah. So <laughs> uh a, a Luddite uh again rejects technology on principle. You actually think that the technology itself is is evil. There is a difference between oh coffee, don't run away. Um between being a oh a Luddite and I managed to hide something that I'm going to find. There it is. A Luddite. And let's just go with kill your TV, right? Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I, your, oh, it's more fun if you do it this way. TV. There we go. Kill your TV. All right. Like, do those have to be the same thing? Does killing your TV mean that you cannot use your TV? Or does killing your TV mean that you know what your TV is and you use it efficiently, effectively, and no more. And I would contend that your statement, it seems impossible, is because you are attempting to actually kill your TV, which means you're attempting to turn off electricity, kind of. Now, maybe not. Maybe you plan to stop you know, with just, you know, uh, rotary phones and electricity and and the TV. But see, the thing is, they're all kind of tied together. The issue is not, are there tools that men can use for evil? And the issue is not, are there drugs that control you without, that can control you with you're not even knowing what's going on? More than one. The issue is what are you going to do about it? If you realize and believe that that's the world God created that we have destroyed, but the created is not going away anytime soon, so you cannot remove at least sort of a worldwide flood I think the which may have happened the not well, what the flood definitely happened removing this technology once here before may have happened I'm willing to believe it um it, You're not going to remove this knowledge that we found. And this is that question from earlier about, you know, can you profit from evil? Well, all the knowledge that we have that we find remains. If someone cuts up a cadaver before the guy's dead and learns how to do heart surgery, and then hundreds of years later we're all doing heart surgery because of this, then that's what it is. You can't unlearn what has been learned. You can't put the bite back in the apple, and it wasn't an apple. You can't put the bite back in the fruit. All right. So, kill your TV cannot be, I reject technology on principle. This is why I continue to harp on the idea of media ecology. Understanding the value of tools and what they are, even and especially communication tools, and how if you don't understand them, you will use them poorly or have them be used on you. You cannot pick up a sword and fight with it without killing yourself if you've never tried before. You're going to cut your own arm off. So, it's the same kind of thing. The TV... Is a weapon. The TV is a drug. The TV is an information that is a formation machine. The TV is a powerful, powerful tool. That's why I'm trying to use it. Killing it, so far as I'm concerned, doesn't mean making it go away, although I barely turned mine on. Um it just means knowing how to turn it off and actually preferring to do so. I prefer to have it off. So why? Because it's mostly speaking lies. And I do think that the promise that the the digital world is going to make life better and easier is also a, it's it's just, it's a complete fantasy of a lie and it's based on the premise that these avatars we make can actually make us feel better which they don't. We all know they don't. And and so that you know we we engage in this constantly needing to justify ourselves community of of online reality is very difficult to have christian community online in that way uh because it demands online community demands a certain level of precision typing demands a certain level of precision uh and and all this so i increasingly don't want to have it on because i don't want to listen to what it says right because what it says doesn't help me grow as a person either to be kinder to you or uh to be more into my faith so anyway going on david says uh we've tried multiple tactics from elimination to minimization of the screen time not just for the kids to adding beneficial time like bible verse memorization family devotion we continue to do most of these things they've worked to some degree the issue i still feel is i is the issue i is i still feel guilty about screen time i despise the zombie look on my kids yeah well that's the drug i'm drinking coffee i've said this before and people got mad Coffee is a drug coffee is a mind-altering substance the nectar of the gods i'm thankful for coffee i'm thankful that god created the mind-altering substance called coffee i probably should drink more french water pressed caffeinated coffee than i do and drink less caffeinated coffee than i do although i don't really drink that much i don't think just the mornings really and afternoons (laughs) Uh, so coffee's a drug and like Drugs aren't bad because they are mind-altering substances. Drugs are bad when they alter your mind so as to no longer be able to think for itself. And that would be what TV does by stimulating the cortex in such a way so as to elevate dopamine levels and using the flashing colors to mimic what it would be like to either run from a tiger or chase a deer to catch it and hunt it. And so you are addicted to it. Like immediately, the moment you see it, a waving to remove the head and the colors keep you addicted. You cannot look away. And it's just, you just got to know that. So you put your two year old in front of that, and it's like, there's God. Two year old, just so you know, this is your God now. It's the talking smart box that tells you all and stuns you with imagery. And so your reference to the zombie look on their face is like, yeah, they don't have the brain power to fight back at all. Like none. They can't even think about what they're seeing. They're just like absorb, absorb, absorb right? And and so are we. Right? Right? So the question is not huh, do I kill it? It's how do I get my kids not to have that look? I'll tell you how. Make them take notes during the movie. Ouch. Oh, Father, I hate that idea. Why do you tell me? Because it's going to make you smart. Because <laughs> it's going to make you strong. I'm going to keep you a Christian. That's why. You want to be a Christian kid? Yes, Father. Yes, Father, I do. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Okay, well then, do it. Okay. I can do it. Yeah, you can. I have rel- uh, David continues, I have relatively young kids, ah, make them take notes, I know, well, watch 10 minutes, and make them take notes, and take notes with them, and teach them how to take notes, I know, it's called parenting, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not good at it either, I just, I just know now, I better try harder, uh, and, and we are, you can ask my kids, they're not very happy about the new dictum, but, they kind of are like they keep having cool stuff happen from it. So it's like, it's like, it'll work. Just, just got to give them the time to realize that thinking is more in, in thinking is more entertaining than and it being entertained. The best entertainment is thinking. And we've lost that now, I think. Yeah. in a lot of ways. So, uh, my major issue is attention span. That is an issue. Uh, although attention span is also connected to some other things like willpower, nutrition, things like that. Uh, it seems pretty obvious. The more screen time we have, the less attention we can give anything. Let me say it this way, though. I'm going I'm to really disagree a little bit here. I don't know that I buy this idea that like, well, we all grew up watching like 12 minutes and then there was a commercial break and then there was like this that, and that. So, well, so attention span short. You only can preach a 10-minute sermon now because people have commercial breaks and they check out. No, no, this means you have a bad sermon. No one's listened to you is what that means. <laughs> but attention span, I do not believe, is diminished so much by some sort of like cumulative structure of of watching TV so much that every t- it's the other way around that like an opposite direction every time you look at this thing and engage this thing right every time you do that you are using up a pool of attention span that you have throughout the day you can call it willpower you can call it ego uh, you can call it uh, decision fuel. And decision fatigue is what happens when your attention span, your willpower, your ego all runs out. And the more decisions you make, the more in, uh, uh, confrontations with with fight or flight scenarios or adrenaline raising scenarios you have throughout your day, the less likely you're going to be competent to have the attention span, the willpower, to sit and think about something later. That's why at dinner time, before you've eaten, nobody's any good at talking. <laughs> now, and after you've eaten, you're a little better at talking. but You're kind of ready for bed because you've done the talking already. The real time to have a great conversation is after breakfast. Right, it's hard to do, but it's when your mind is is sharp, and so attention span is kind of a different thing, right? That's really about willpower. But I will say, I will completely agree with you that that because of the blue light factor alone in screens, they do deplete your attention span in the day. So any any screen time you spend will diminish your attention later i i would contend at a higher capacity than say staring at a lake or going for a walk or reading a good book would do you would come out of that probably far more invigorated and energized than you're going to come out of 3 hours of staring at a blue screen even if it's a great book on the blue screen it's just a matter of the technology itself and it's it's the unwillingness of christians and non-christians alike to just reckon with this that is so disturbing to me it's just, it's like Evidently, we're impacted by our environments, and we have ad- absorbed into our environments in one and a half generations more weird, out of the blue, attention-destroying and uh, what, what? A stability-disturbing things, mind-altering realities uh, in one generation than, than ever. And it, it is such a radical experiment that we just assume it's all going to work out right uh and that the the tv will not in fact be the way that the demons take over the minds of the entire world uh, out of the abyss i i mean i don't necessarily have that kind of eschatology uh in fact i would say i I don't really although not not really either that's a longer story um but the thing is like why do we assume it's all good like what in the bible taught us to believe that there's no evil masterminds like guys behind the whole thing and we should assume they're all got a best interest in mind because america right or or whatever go biden I mean, Harris. I mean, yeah. So, I'm going to continue reading your thing, David. I'm with you, man. We got to just, we're just working through it together, right? Uh, mm, The less attention, attention span, yeah. This would most certainly hold true for the kids as well. Yeah, right, right. Because they have less ability to focus their willpower, less intellect to channel their attention than you do to begin with because of their age, right? They have very little to begin with. So you must teach them to harness their willpower and the TV will never do that. So it's not so much that it's shrinking their attention span. They're never learning grit. TV, you can't learn grit on TV. It's like, I don't know how to say this, but in some some very real, like tactile way, you can't sit down to worship the holy God. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to sit down the next time some guy's going to preach a sermon. I'm going to sit there. I will sit on the pew. Is what we do as Lutherans. But, like, this has really been on me recently. Like, how do you worship the Holy God on your butt? I just don't get it. And, and it just doesn't make sense as a man, right? If I'm coming to the presence of an actual Almighty God that could really send me to hell, I'm, I'm definitely not, like, leaning back. I'm going to enter this thing a little more like a slave coming to his master saying, dear Lord, have mercy on me. I know you're good and I've been bad. You see the difference in all that? I mean, the distinction there that I'm trying to turn a push on? So when we sit down for family devotion, even at church, it's crazy. I'm not dis- disconnected enough to know that having a one and two year old would ever be calm. Well, no, it's not calming. <laughs> it's just hard for me not to, uh, to see. Hard for me not to see that even in the limited screen time, it wrecks the attention span. Well, if you have got a one and two year old and you're giving them screen time, I think you're nuts. I'll, I mean, you're, you're wrong. They'll do it. It's bad. Uh, and I will. I will hang my hat on this. Fact check me. Go for it. Uh, the American Association of Pediatrics had a 50 year run of their ages 1 to 5 resource for raising kids everything you could ever know your kid do this we'll look it up okay and their recommendations are until they're 5 don't let them see a screen oh wait they changed it 2 years ago 3 years ago they changed it they took that recommendation out do you know why it wasn't because they found it it was okay to see screens it was because they realized it was a waste of space in the book because no one listened to it you shouldn't let your kids see a screen until they're 5 it's evidently bad for their brain and I'm going to say it's more than your brain it's not about being smart it's about your emotional intelligence where you can think with your feelings or whether you're just kind of, oh, I feel what I'm told to feel, right? One and two, what are they gaining? What are they gaining? I'm crazy. You don't have to listen to me. You completely disagree with me. That's fine. You're not gaining. Your, your two-year-old gets nothing from TV. Nothing of benefit. Take him to the beach. Show them something that moves that's like alive. <laughs> you know? Um, golly. But don't expect this is important too, that your life with your one and two year old reading the Bible at the dinner table is going to be calm. <laughs> it won't be calm either. They might be screaming. The thing is, do you really believe that God is with you? And in these words, because if you do, then there's no right way to do it and no wrong way to do it. So long as you get those words out and you say a couple of them and they mean something to you and your wife, you agree. He has risen. And your kid's like, Wah. like it doesn't matter. Like, that's not how he learns. Kids in that age do not learn from going, uh-huh, mm-hmm, let me take a note now. Okay, I think that makes sense. Wait, wait, can you go back a little bit? They don't do that. There's no going back or forward. There's like, there again, the way they look at the TV, ah, right? So just, just give them better. Give them good engagement. When they scream, don't scream back. <gasps> Hi, you're screaming. This is too much. I'm going to put you in the room for a minute. Let's. I'll be right back. Can we Right, right. So you're, you're trying to model what you want them to be. And that means then not making sure they understand the Bible. It means making sure you understand the Bible and you and your wife understand the Bible and you're in some form of spiritual growth and development together. And that will build and harness itself. And the chaos will continue to be chaos. And yet you'll find these kids end up saying things and doing things that reflect what you've been, well, showing them. Yeah. Um, which is again why Monkey See, Monkey Do is another bit of the TV. Let's debate it. If you want to tell me, this would be interesting. Can we get someone who like really hates me and do a public debate on this? I'd probably get my butt kicked. Um, But like, I would like to debate the phrase monkey see, monkey do. That's my proposition. That Monkey see, monkey do is an unavoidable reality of the audio visual mixed medium we call television. So my suggestion is that Even at adult age, you cannot help but mimic what you watch. You are not strong enough. Monkey see, monkey do. I say to you, you are gods, and yet you are blind. Yes? Uh, We should see more than monkey see, monkey do, but we do not. And in that regard, whatever you show your kids, and that includes in books, right? The funny little kid who always does all the bad stuff? Okay. Monkey see, monkey do, curious George. Oh, oh. He was naughty, but he was safe at the end, wasn't he? So it's okay. So go do it, right? So just know that none of us are really so good at being like, I'm not going to do that one, but I'll do that one, but I'm not going to do that one, but I'll do that one. Instead, we just have messages coming at us and we say, I won't do this. I won't do this. But most of those messages are getting through. That's why we dress the way we do. I go and shop for what I shop because of what I've seen, not because of what I created. So it's... Knowing the tool for what it is, is a brainwashing box. For that reason, I'd love to get a hold of it and use it positively to absolutely wash our brains with the water of Jesus. Right? That's what we're doing here, I hope, a little bit. Excuse me. With bodily sounds. (laughs) Sorry. Kevin, you guys, you all need to write thesis papers. It's crazy. Look at the pessimists. I know you don't have time to answer everything directly. Yes. Uh, despite uh, acknowledging the above, I would still like to bend your ear. Uh, I don't know what BU, BLUF stands for. Two questions. A totally different subject matter. Uh, are T-notes outlined defined in the book on smart notes? Not even a little bit. Um, although, yes. I just, T-notes is like most of what that book can teach you. There's a couple other ideas in that book, but most of it comes out in this idea of T-notes that what, what a smart note is. T-note is just a way of saying what a smart note is as an acronym. Right, so I like smart notes for remembering the phrase. I'm starting to use it more because it's just a better phrase. Um, but T, te- teeing up your smart notes, T-E-A. Um, and all those ideas of translating, elaborating, and then doing are in the book, although not necessarily in that language. And so what I've done is try to give it a way to, to remember it quickly. So if I want to have my first note that I've taken, uh, which the book doesn't call it that either, um, but it talks about, it. it doesn't matter what you call it. Your, your first thing you write down is an unclear note. It's as clear as you can make it, and sometimes you'll be better at it, and it will be more clear, but it's always going to be able to be more clarified. And the, the key, the magical key to making that happen is to not look at it and try to fix it, is to rewrite it. And you just start again, and you will come up with something that's not only different, but better, and better on a level of scale that's almost unimaginable from what was before, especially if you start to compound it over two or three edits of the idea. And again, while you're trying to go from that first note to the second note, translate, elaborate, activate helps you kind of remember, okay, well, if I'm having trouble knowing what to do with this note, have I translated it yet? That is, Have I just rewritten it in different words? Because doing that will make it clear. And then as I rewrite it in different words, do I realize that it's not just one idea, but maybe three? Well, then I would want to elaborate, not just translate. So I just write down the one idea. I realize that there are three ideas and I pull them apart and I've elaborated. Now, one of those ideas that I elaborated on needs to be heard by somebody I care about. I can write it to them on a separate sheet of paper, I can say it to them in some way. That's activating it, right? Now I'm no longer translating or elaborating. I'm taking that word and making it an action, an actionable, I should say, uh, somewhere in my life. So the T the idea is just a way of remembering that and that when we say smart notes, that's what we mean. So smart notes are translate. You can say it faster like this, too. A smart note is translating your first note into something deeper with the intention of finding many, many good things, which are what you believe and think and want to know more about. Um, so... Uh short answer to that one, right? Maybe? Long answer to that one. Uh number two. Uh at what point does I do this for reasons become you must do this? Hmm. Depends on who your king is, right? Hmm. Did you see that one coming? Um let's go with your background here. Uh GDT Smart Notes. I have watched your transition to Everbook and beyond with increasing curiosity and wonder. I picked up GDD from Alan in an effort to get some of the first article wisdom. Yeah, it's there for sure. Although Making It All Work, I think, is a better first pick now. I don't recommend GDD anymore. I recommend Making It All Work. It's a second book. You get the essence of GDD in it, although much more uh, abbreviated which means it's clearer. Uh, And then you also get sort of the big picture thinking, which is really what it helps with, I think. Uh, On the ground, I am increasingly using less of Alan's approach as I get into smart noting, Um, although much of the principle is still there. But there are certain things and bits of his language that I find uh, stagnated me in believing I had more I had to do than I really did and uh, losing some of his uh, ground-level viewing of capture even um, and what capture is. I mean, it's not quite right, but in any case, Making it all work, I think helps you avoid some of, some of the early pitfalls that aren't necessarily needful that GDT has. Although it can still be a, it's an excellent resource. I've reread it, I don't know, seven, eight, ten times. Um, so, uh, continuing on with yours though, uh, Kevin, uh, in an effort to get some first article wisdom, yeah, uh, struggle with the implementation. Right. Well, because there's a couple of holes in getting things done. Um, and one of the holes is what he calls horizons of focus. Uh, another hole is waiting for, uh, they're very, very hard to apply. Uh, I want to come back to the stuff we're going on and not really just dwell on GDD too much. So as a trade worker, electrician's apprentice, I'm still working on how to manage cap the capture phase of my day to day. I'm often able to spend a lot of time listening to podcasts during my workday, two hours or so. And even when I don't want to catch the thoughts that happen, um, uh, maybe it's the GDD that I'm still processing through and I'm waiting for my copy of smart notes to arrive. If the teed up smart note concept in the book is in the book, I'll wait till it gets here. So the book I, I'm sorry I recommended it. Um, not because I shouldn't. It's really good. I don't know what's going to answer what you're, you're looking for. But so go into it realizing that the book has more in it than the author realizes. And God bless you if you ever watched this song. But you actually have three genius insights there. And Smart Note is just one of them. Um, and uh, <sighs> wrestling with how someone else has discovered Smart Notes, namely by reading Aaron's book, will help you discover Smart Notes. And the beauty of smart notes is if you just believe what I said a few moments ago, you don't need anyone to tell you about how to do it. It'll do itself. You'll just get smarter and you'll figure out the way it works for you because it's, it's a reflection of the way God created you in his image to be a human, uh, to be a author, to be a speaker, to be a writer and a doer. That is what all humans are. The gift of gift of language itself, uh, by which we engage each other and know each other and can't not know each other apart from this, right? We can't know each other apart from this. Um, and so, uh, Once you begin translating your thoughts into clearer thoughts, uh, you really have achieved most of what the smart note is going to give you because you're going to see in your own clearer thoughts like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I could do it that way. And then you're going to like do it. And it won't necessarily be the way I should do it because the thing about it is the way you manage it is going to have your own flair to it. So for example, the smart notes initially were kept by this guy named um, Illumin. uh, in what he called his his slip box which is just a box um, and I actually have a, a cigar box I'm using for for some of my stuff too but I've got about four or five of them he, he also moved on though at one point until uh, into using um, a card catalog drawers which maybe not everybody even needs to get to that point so is the card catalog drawer a principle or is it a tactic what I'm trying to dig through in anything I'm going to produce for you and, and give to you or sell to you uh, is, is the principle more than the tactic the strategy not the tactic because the tactics are going to apply differently for me I've done decades building has been one of my primary ways of looking at this to look at this as card decks but for many people i don't think that's a way that's going to help them and yet other people are going to find what they've done with everbook is going to just transition into smart notes very very natively and so uh that's kind of the key thing to keep in mind behind all of this um i want to come back to your thing about gdd though but i don't want to spend too much time on. i want to move on okay that's enough i'm repeating myself continuing with what you write kevin um mm, 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 mm. Oh, you know, no. Okay. So we finished what you said there. Um, what I want to say is this though. Okay. The the flaw that I'm finding in my application of GDD that's been such a conscience bind is that I capture it. And then I assume since I think it's a good idea, that means it's a goal. And I don't distinguish between good ideas and goals. I treat them as the same. I'm going to try to not do that anymore. I really want to distinguish between what I've decided is a goal. Like I'm going to, gosh, darn it, that's getting done. And what I think is a good idea. And I'm distinguishing that with the word actionable. So, I mean, I have a stack of papers now. It's going to keep growing. It's going to grow for a long time. Um, And that is things that are actionable uh, that may or may not need to be done right now. Could be done, don't have to be done, but could be done right now. And I'm going to keep that separate from things that I would like to do. Things that I dream about doing, things that I'm thinking about doing, things I want to ponder doing. I want to keep the things I can actually do separate so that when I know... I got to do some work. I know it's going to be in my actionable pile. It will always be there. Each one is its own thing. I, I don't want to make too many lists because lists make me tired. But flipping through a deck of my own book about what I could do now that is all actionable, um, that's a little bit easier. I can, I can flip through and say, oh, I can do that one right now. That's easy, right? And you just kind of go through any find ones you got to do. And you're, well, how would I, how would I lose? I'm going to lose myself. No, no, no. You will, if you cannot distinguish an actionable but from a, a dream, if you cannot distinguish an actual goal that you have planned on and are working on from a something you're calling a goal, which is a dream you have about something, but you don't really have the structure or even the first action available to take to make it happen. I want to build a complete addition on my house with my own bare hands. I sat out there yesterday afternoon. I looked at where I want to do it, thought about how I want to do it. I can't do it. <laughs> it's not in my actionable piles. This is nowhere near my actionable pile, right? Uh, instead, it's going to sit tucked into my uh, a separate pile that, that is dealing with the future of this, um, well, of me, you know, uh, things I would like to have maybe show up in my life at some point. You might call it a dream casting uh, kind of thing or a visioneering kind of thing. You know, does that mean it's going to happen? No, but I treat that as a very different piece of information. So that distinction, goal versus good idea, in your capturing from GDD, I think it's pretty important because my guess is most of your capture comes in and you're like, this is good and therefore I go. And then you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you have no way to say, but this isn't really necessary. This isn't really necessary. What's actually necessary? What's actually actionable? So you got to prune. Rather than try to collect it all, you got to prune it all. And then don't worry about what you have pruned as long as you understand you're pruning it into places you like going. And that's the big trick and that's maybe another topic. But, you tend to like going to things you like. <laughs> so if you want to find something likable, you should put it where you would like it. Oh, I don't know if that helps much, but um, since I bought my really cool Bible, I told you I was going to buy this Bible. Did you, look at this. That's my confirmation version Greek. Greek. Um, Mad Mondays last week, we talked about this a bit. Uh, this is my, this is my Everbook. So Everbook is a piece of leather with paper inside it. I would like most of my paper to be the Bible. But then what I have is current notes I'm moving through in the back. Blank notes here. Uh, in the middle, we got some notes for writing on the Proverbs right there. But like what I did with my stuff for this morning, right here, I just sat right there. I can go anywhere. And I can take my little stacks that stack up in my box over there. My boxes over there. I can pull them out. I can work on them. I go back. Each one's a book, but it doesn't have to be a book for publish. It's a book for me to remember something. The book can be two pages long and be 10 pages long. What do I need to remember? What do I want to remember? It's amazing. And now I'm just going on and on and on about it, but it's really been revolutionary. And it has a lot to do again with the previous question of how do I unhook my mind from the keyboard? And I had to do that for my hand. I was forced to. Okay. So you don't have to go there. You don't have my hand. My hand does not want to type ever again. And I, I can do it for a little time, but this is most recent work. Talk them into it, which will come out in two weeks free. If you sign up for Mad Mondays, you're going to get it for free. Um, it's a book, uh, Uh, it, I, I, you know, the typing alone was the greatest hindrance to the production of that book. Um, and, uh, uh, so I have to find ways to manage my life without digital media. I cannot be going in again, but what I've found as I've done it is I'm getting more effective and more efficient and doing way more offline than I'm doing online and never rejecting the online tool, but also, Finally telling it who's boss. <laughs> um, so so yeah, lots more in all of that. Um, hopefully I've answered a little bit here. Getting things done does have some holes in it. And one of them is being able to say, this is not my future. It's still a good idea, but I don't have to worry about it. Um, and maybe I don't even mind losing it. Now on the history of power, your other question, uh, which I kind of mentioned the answer to briefly up above. Um, uh, at one point you say, relating to something that you were discussing, this thought crossed my mind. At what point does... Here is how I do X become, I do X so everyone else should do do X too uh, without my intent. Like you you accidentally begin moralizing on other people, right? Don't push your morality on me, which is in fact pushing morality on me. (laughs) So often I feel, he says, compelled to follow any suggestion I make, whether uh, standing on the authority of scripture, good tradition, or my own measurable experience with the words, but you you don't have to do it that way. I'm tired of wallowing in the muck. Of wishy-washiness then i wrote that book i was just talking about talked them into it you want to get a copy of that kevin it's going to be free sign up for mad mondays if you haven't already i think you did you said you did it's going to be free as a pdf to everybody you can buy your paperback copy and help me you know pay me that way um but i want you to have it because the, the, i right now it's in editing it's going to go through a, a pretty significant editing and even theological uh review before we get it out to you um uh, although at, at a at a clip speed i hope um And I haven't heard a lot back from it, um, but the one thing I've heard back from my my initial reader, um, we're going to go through again several, but my initial reader said, I'm not going to be able to say it quite the way it was said, but it was like, I was convicted to stop being afraid and be willing to talk about what I believe. And she didn't say it as a way it was like, I feel bad and I have to. It was more like, why don't I just? And you're on it right here. Yeah you're on it. Um, so the book is written for you. Um, your question though, when does I do X? So you have to do X become everyone has to do X. Well, here, let's use me as the guinea pig. That'll work. This is good. Cause I've had this conversation like uh, a couple other places as well. And, and it's fairly important. Like, okay. So I, as a principle for my life, generally only eat ruminant animal product, right? So, I mean, I'll have a little pork, that's fine. Um, I don't like it. it. Doesn't fill me up. Chicken is a waste of time. It's not even food. Uh, I, I say that because when I eat it, I'm not full. I'm still hungry. And so what I do is I eat ruminant. That is an animal that eats the cud. Uh, an animal that eats the grass and then eats it again with multiple stomachs and then makes it into this thing we call red meat, usually, which is just chock full of nutrients. So I have experienced tremendous health revolutions in my life since I started eating this stuff. It seems to be, in fact, what humans are made to eat, based on the way my body's responding to it. I'm one person. When does me saying, it seems to be what we were made to eat, become, you have to do it, right? That's the question. And it's a really good question because the, what we know about Christians is that we're not supposed to say, you have to do it about anything God has not said you have to do. So there actually was a time when you were supposed to eat only remnants. That was called the Old Testament and it was part of the Levitical codes. It was part of remaining clean in God's sight, but it's also been approbated as a moral restriction by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does that mean simply because someone is approbated as a moral restriction that we shouldn't learn from it? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. So, so you know, if the Bible says don't murder and yet you're saved from murdering by Jesus Christ, you get to murder now? No, of course not. But when we talk about the Levitical codes, we're usually a little more careful because there are civil laws there. Things like what you make your clothing out of. Can you mix the mix the fabrics together? I, how long can the hair on your head be? And it's pretty clear from Paul, Galatians, Hebrews as well, uh, if, if that's Paul or otherwise, uh, pretty clear that these restrictions no longer apply. So I, as a Christian, have no ability to tell you that you have to eat a ruminant an animal in order to be Good. It's not a moral thing. However, that doesn't mean that if we all look at the science and we discover that there is, in fact, some food that is healthy and really, really good for you, and some food that's not as healthy as we think or otherwise, right? Just not healthy at all. Some of it is not healthy at all. um, That that isn't still true. You know, it doesn't mean you have to do something. Well, you're not justified by your works, but. You know, if, you, if you want to pursue the good, won't you always pursue the good? Why would you reject the truth when it's in front of you? Usually for fear, emotional shame, things like that. So the, the thing is then, the Christian struggle is always to recognize just the difference between what we would call adiaphora, those things about which God has not actually said something specifically like you must, and those things which are not adiaphora, those things which God has said well you must. And when it comes to, what was the one you were asking about? Oh, X. You're just doing an X in general. Generally, As a Christian, it never becomes, therefore, you must. Ever. Unless it was what God said. And then it's always, therefore, you must. Like, there isn't really a middle between it. It's always, this is an idea and it seems to be good. seems to be working. I don't know how you cannot do that. I mean, look, we could go a different direction here. Are you a Christian? You're going to vote for Kamala Harris? I mean, Joe Biden? Have you looked at Kamala's record on abortion ever? You should. Can a Christian vote for Kamala and still be a Christian? That's going to be answered by your conscience in the booth between you and God. And even though I can say, if you have the full knowledge of her voting record on abortion and you put her in charge of putting justice on the bench, I have real concerns about your faith, honestly. But that doesn't mean I'm right. And it doesn't mean you're wrong in the terms of you're evil or that I should hate you or that we can't have a conversation about the disagreement. In fact, I think civilization means I can tolerate you and you can tolerate me, right? So in that regard, it should never become I do X so everyone else should do X as in I make you do X. But on the other side, if you're embarrassed to cheer for your sports team and tell other people they should cheer for your sports team, then why are they your sports team? I mean, this is the thing about Lutheran Christianity. Like, Like, all our guys know more about their sports team than they know about their faith. Well, they they obviously don't think that much of their faith then, do they? I'm not going to say it's their fault. Their pastors often don't either. We live in a lukewarm age. We're all condemned. We're all saved. C.S. Lewis talked about this too, and I want to make sure I hit this before, before I leave. He said there's this particular insolent nature in sinful man. That he cannot amend anything he has done that has been harmful to him without insisting that everyone else also believe it is harmful to them, in spite of whatever the truth may be. You see this especially in Tetalism, right? Tetalism, Yeah. Um, uh Believing that alcohol is evil by nature and must be removed and you can't have any alcohol as a Christian ever, ever. No will, right? Um, uh, uh, uh The temperance Movement, which got abolition of alcohol done, all that kind of stuff. Um... That is people saying, this was harmful to me, therefore it's harmful to everybody, therefore do it because it's right. And they're doing that without the prescription that God has given to actually say these things. right? Um, so that is the line that you're worried about and the line we have to worry about or that we don't want to cross. But as much as I can talk about it now, and Lewis talked about it, and you've asked about it, I can't give you an answer at what point? Because it's going to depend on, well, what does the Bible say? Right? At the moment that you're saying you have to do X, even though the Bible doesn't say it, well, we need to have a conversation about where you think the Bible says it, right? Uh, and and, and think get back into that. Burden of proof is on the person who asserts. And then the answer as a Christian is, oh, please show me where. Huh? You don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be angry. Oh, okay. Please show me where I now have to, you know, um, support uh, a godless cause because it's my president, right? Or whatever, whatever, right? The point is to challenge all your thoughts by scripture, to continually push yourself into an understanding of grace for the other as being the way that they would convert to your position anyway. So if you're going to convert somebody, something that's radical, like Christianity, like it's going to happen, not because you say you have to do it or else it's going to happen because you have enough grace and belief in it, that it just is what you do. And they're like, that looks pretty cool. I think I want to do that too. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love, right? Not because we're sanctimoniously singing about love, but because we actually care. Unlike the rest of the world. Oh my goodness. The day goes on. Jacob, Jacob says this. I got to zoom in. My eyeballs are too old. I have a question. Oh, by the way, have you ever heard of like a, a eyeball? Ma- I just moved that whole thing. Have you ever heard of the eyeball mag- migraine? Eyeball? Eye migraines? Apparently I get them all the time. They're weird. Um, I have a question that's not typically asked on your show. Okay, cool. Uh, but I thought I'd give a shot at asking and see if you take it up to respond. I'll take it straight to the point. So I apologize. says, Jacob, uh, uh i'm on a church council local cms we currently are in our budgeting process for 2021 i mentioned to the treasurer we should plan for saving up for replacing our church boilers that are archaic and could go out in the next five years totaling uh two hundred thousand dollars for replacing both that's a lot of money uh keep in mind these boilers are from the 80s wow it's not even that old and we've been waiting them to go out for the past five to eight years um The boiler at the church that we sold recently was from, like, the 30s or 20s. (laughs) The treasurer at my local parish responded with, We've never planned at our congregation. That's an interesting statement. Um, uh, Christ never commanded the church to plan, and God will provide. Hmm. That's interesting. Where did you find that in the Bible that Christ told us not to plan? Because I'm not sure you can say he told us not to plan unless he told us not to plan. Just because he didn't tell us to plan didn't mean he told us not to plan. That's, that's a, a real confusing thing to do. You know, just because you've never seen the black swan doesn't mean they don't exist. So um, you know, women don't commune in the Bible either, but we should commune them. It's, it's really just not an answer. Um, what do you say, though? I mean, this person or this answer is, is not really trying to make a biblical answer. They don't really care about what the Bible says. Sorry, treasurer, but, but I don't think you do. You just don't want to face the issue. You're afraid of the issue. You're concerned of what it would mean for the congregation. You're concerned of the conflict it might create or the fact it might call on the carpet the dangers you're already in. And as a treasurer, you don't want to have to deal with any of that. And I completely get it. And so what you do is you dismiss the problem. But congregations in my church body have been doing this for 50 years, and they're closing as a result. Lots of them. It's just happening left and right. Not quite, but last 20 years, yeah, kind of. And it's it's not unlike this. Like At a certain point, like <laughs> um, your failure to make the repairs uh, adds up. It adds up, and when you don't have your kids coming back to church after all this, anyway, right? Who's going to take for, take care of it then? There is a beautiful, giant building downtown here, uh, just right at the heart, smack of downtown. Major, major, two major steeples. Lutheran Church, not ours. Uh, Lutheran Church, uh, fifteen to thirty people. Massive building. And they're, they're keeping it going. Um, not not LCMs, different different body, and uh, it's just the the financing alone to maintain that structure is just beyond capacity. I mean, beyond. Um, so. Uh, but the idea that we never planned or that Jesus says uh, not to plan, I think that's kind of laughable. Um, you know, what was it? Uh, this time I tell you, take a money pouch, you know, uh, buy a sword. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. Disciple of the nations is pretty much a plan. <laughs> like, there's so much planning in the Bible. It's like saying the fourth commandment doesn't exist. It's just really a strange argument. But again, they're not making—when when individuals are in fear— they don't make solid biblical arguments. They make emotional arguments and they grasp at a biblical idea, right? And I complete, anybody who's a treasurer, you should understand they carry the most fear in that congregation of anybody outside probably the pastor. It's because they know the numbers. And even when they're good, oh man, that ship can go down fast. So it's it's a real issue, right? But that's why I would disagree with his statement that we shouldn't plan. I, I just don't know how you don't plan. I think that's very weird. Um, I mean, let me come back to God will provide too, because there's something very faithless about saying God will provide when God has not promised to provide what you are claiming He will provide. Do not say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord is a deceitful promise you trust in. Uh, you can't use God against God. Uh, so, um, You say you didn't grow up Lutheran, and to be honest, it's thoughts like these that make me question why I'm Lutheran. Yeah, well, it's not a Lutheran thought. Uh, I tell you that. It just ain't. Um, Sadly, it's more for the confession than the people. Well, I've heard that before. Uh, I wish it were both, but now that's another topic. Well, you have to make it both in that congregation or find a congregation where it is. Uh, And there are out there, and sometimes that means you just got to move. There is a sacrificial cost to real-world discipleship. There's an economic cost to real-world discipleship. Um, So how do I respond to that? Well, I I have so far. I hope that's been sufficient. Uh, These individuals are in their mid to late 30s, (laughs) blown away uh, that planning is an almost unchristian thing to do in your church, um, but it seems like a Lutheran thing, because at my other past churches, it was common to plan, uh, and it's not because we are running the church like a business, but it's about being good stewards of what God has given us. And you look at Proverbs, most people don't, but you're right, uh, I believe, and from reading Proverbs, we make our plans in prudence and wisdom, and commit your way to the Lord, and, and complete your plans to the Lord, and He will He will bless them, however it goes, uh, and it's like that pretty much the same plan. <laughs> And then say, that will be done as you plan, right? Uh, And and then God will put it into place with his will, but not because you're like ignoring and pretending he's going to make money fall out of the sky to keep your idols alive, which is usually what's happening. I'm sorry. Did you be mad at me if you want? I'm just tired. It's happened so many times. It's so clear that we're what we're worshiping and we're worshiping these facilities. There's no question about it. And we are so unwilling to take risks with the facilities because we don't want to lose the facilities all in the name of God who tells us not to plan, but somehow please give money to our little club. And we wonder why the world won't listen to us. We don't even believe it ourselves. Uh, Ultimately, uh, our trust is in the Lord. That's the truth, is what it should be, and His sovereignty and not plan, uh, the plan that we devised as His purpose, that His purpose will prevail. That's Proverbs 19.21. Look at this. Look at this. You read the Proverbs and you know what you're doing. You don't need me to tell you anything. You've got the right answer. You're just confused about the fact that you've run into hypocrisy in the church. Right? So what happens when you run into hypocrisy in the church? Do you say, oh my goodness, it's not the church? Well, then you don't know your Bible as well as you think you do. Yeah, because the fact is, there's going to be hypocrisy in the church. There always will be hypocrisy in the church. Somebody there is going to be a hypocrite. You, you probably, at some point. And so when you find it, the answer is more discussion and conversation, which is then going to be me saying again, okay, the Bible says, you're telling me the Bible says we're not supposed to plan. I've been pondering this for a month now. We're at another meeting, right? So, well, Proverbs says, commit your ways to the Lord and he will make them successful. And And I don't see that as saying know, don't plan anything. it's say plan and then know that God will bless it. But you're telling me that we're not supposed to plan and then and then believe God will bless it. And so I would just really like a Bible verse that shows me that in some way. that may make me feel much more comfortable about our conversation. Can you, can you, you don't have to do it right now. Like next month, can you come back with like where the Bible says don't plan and that God just makes it happen? I would really appreciate you doing that. It'll help me learn. And the moment he says no, you know, he's, he called his bluff. <laughs> he called his bluff, you know? Uh, and then you just keep asking just keep asking Uh, because that's, that's the only way you're going to get him to face his fear. His real fear is he doesn't want to have to deal with the fact that that's a really big cost and it's scary to look at what that might do to you. I'll go back to how I started the show. When you're afraid you have two things you could do. You can, you can run away and try to be your own God, or you can walk that fear into its worst nightmare and then lay it at the feet of the actual God and realize that he's bigger than that. And listen to what he has to say about all the things that normally happen. And then trust that instead uh so yeah this idea that where to go up in here um the lord will provide right god will provide god will provide god will provide what does that mean does it mean that universally no matter what i do god's gonna make it work out because that's a lie at the very least, you need to plan to have the Word of God be what you're teaching at your church. And if you don't, you're not a church. So the statement on its face is nonsense. Um, it's But it's it's unaware. And it's, again, it's trying to not upset the apple cart, which is also good. Because if you have a—who knows in your congregation? If you have a conversation right now about $200,000 bill, it might riff the congregation in half. Do you have a pastor with you right now walking you through this? What's your pastor think? Have you talked to him? you should. I should have said that right away. A little late on that one for this answer, but you really should be asking your pastor. Hey pastor, this is what I was what I was told, and I would like some Bible verses to help me understand how that's the position because I have these Bible verses from the Proverbs that say we should be actively kind of being like this. And I think that's the word of God that applies to us. Can we talk about the word of God at our next meeting and see how it applies to us? Right? As opposed to I'm mad cuz they're not Lutheran, right? Well, that's not going to help. Now, are you in a church where it is, in fact, not Lutheran, and it's not going to be Lutheran, and they're on the path out of Lutheran, right. or out of Christian, for that matter? Um, well, that's a different thing, then, isn't it? Um, how are you going to find that out? By asking questions, you know, very carefully. Um, it's tough, though, man. I mean, I really— uh, uh, We did this one. I really—I feel for you. And I feel for your parish and I feel for your treasure because I think a lot of these situations are not ones that individuals have really wanted to create for themselves. We just have been unprepared. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about a, <laughs> a video game. Uh, there's an there's a event in a video game trailer for World of Warcraft, uh, Blazing Crusade, I think, where the bad guy you fight at the very, very end of it. Um, you no, know, he says, you are not prepared. And that goes through my head all the time with regard to Christianity right now and, and the world. Like, and I think about like my college group and like the kind of goofy, sloshy, happy-go-lucky, hippie America we thought we lived in. And I was just, just kind of safe and, and uh, the world's all just going to be good and Jesus is nice. And, and I needed that to bring me back in as it did. At the same time, like, it just really didn't prepare me to confess the faith. You know? Not at all. And um, I don't know. I think if we don't plan to confess the faith, we can't just sit back and say, well, the Spirit will do it because that's not what the Spirit says. Uh, the Spirit does not say go into all nations. It says as you go, while you go, because you're going, because you are in all nations, disciple. And, and that requires a plan. That's at least the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer and knowing that and remembering that as a group, a plan. Do you have an agenda? Oh, dear heavens. I'm sorry. I know I'm really upset. Wait, so you're telling me I don't want to say this because you can't be mean to this person. They might see this someday. Hello. I love you too. Then I want you to understand. So you're telling me, Jesus said, we can't plan. And here we are at this meeting where you're keeping track of numbers about money and saying there's a budget where the money is going to go. It's called a plan. And there's an agenda that says where the meeting is going to go. It's called a plan. And now you're telling me we're not supposed to plan because God says not to plan. Well, then that means no more treasurer job. No more council meetings, no more agendas. Those are all plans, right? So the the, the lunacy of the argument just exposes itself almost immediately. But you're not going to convince them by calling them a lunatic. You have to very slowly step them back. So Jesus says, we're not supposed to have plans. Does that apply to the agenda of this meeting? No, of course not. Great! (laughs) I agree! So then again, are you sure Jesus doesn't want plans because the agenda is a plan? So maybe we need to think of a different way of talking about this. Right? I really, 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 really recommend talking to your pastor about this. Uh, highly, highly, highly. Uh, I'm going to check the clock. 1133. Y'all have been good to me today. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you talking. I appreciate you trying to kill your TV and being not a Luddite at the same time. Um, What else do I need to pitch to you guys today? Uh, I've already talked about the new book. Talk them into it. It seems to be in process. I'm thinking two weeks from now, you'll get that thing in the Mad Mondays if you sign up. And uh, two weeks from Monday at the latest. Uh, and, uh, but b- b- what else? What else do I got? Patreon is the way you can support me. We talked about that already today. The Lutheran LAN is, is engaging. So, uh, if you are one of those guys who's reached out to us already and said, uh, you know, we want to be involved in prototyping and, and, and starting these groups, just plan to start a men's group at your church this fall. Start those gears right now. Talk to your pastor. Say, hey, do we have a men's group? Hey, can we start a men's group? Uh, you know, Who are guys that like being around church just in general? And can we kind of figure out something we all do together and can just do regularly? Don't come up with multiple things. Don't change the event. Have it be the same thing every single time. What we're going to do in my parish is we're going to go shoot guns. We're going to go learn how to be safe with guns together. And it doesn't, that doesn't have to be what you do, but that's just the kind of idea, right? Start getting those men together. And then the Lutheran land within about three to four months, I'm hoping, will be opening up some resources and networking potential for your group to then build its structure and and encourage others to join it or spread that uh, that network even further. And again, to the level where now we're not just getting together, but we're taking political action together in our community. So, so can you imagine this? This was pitched to me the other day. This is such a great, can you imagine this? If like you're walking downtown, wherever you are at whatever thing, and there's some protests going on about whatever, and your whole congregation that comes to church on Sunday morning, it's not Sunday morning, we well, you know you get half that number down there. So for us to be 60 people, we're just going to walk through and we're singing hymns the whole way. We just walk through the street, we never stop we just sing hymns the whole way. oh my goodness we could change the world we could change the world we could change the world so um you hear what I'm saying uh Lutheran land it's coming it's coming start your men's group now and uh, be ready to to brand it uh, underneath this heading so that we can we can network and again really get the impact of what we know we believe and we know young men are hungry for now just some leadership structure and truth uh get that get that out there. All right. I'm done trying to think of ways to tell you to help me. Thank you for for, uh, for for listening. I know it's been a blessing to you as well. The consolation of the brethren that is when we speak with each other as you do in the chat about the truth that always builds people up as the Spirit gives us lead. And of course, in, with, under, around the, uh, the framework of the end of the world, that he's risen already, that you're purchased and bought and paid for, that you can't die. All that, all that is the reason why you are free to not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope but lift up your eyes all the more as you see that day approaching. And yeah, it's all kinds of my business. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?